<laughs> I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. Like a doll's eyes. I love this town! Hello, city! All right, welcome back, everyone, to City of Geek Podcast. It's been a year and a half or so since we last. <laughs> I, I know, true. well, because oh we got we got uh, like we had a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of Zoom fatigue, and and you know, we get busy. We're all live busy lives. You had a baby. I had a yeah. My wife you had, had a, a baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was, yeah, that was months after we la- did the last. One. I think it was September of 2020 was Jeez. the last time. I think you're uh, right. Yeah, because well, uh, yeah, I was. Do my master, so it was on on Zoom mm. all day, every mm-hmm. day. With that, if not in class, I was working teaching from a home. classroom. Yeah, so I did not Zoom want to get <laughs> Yeah, so that I think that's something that hit us all. And, I, and you guys all kept working. Luckily, I was working on my schoolwork instead, but that was busy. You know, yeah, Kim and I actually had to go in person. Yeah, classes. yeah, yeah, both. Yeah. And there are people who are like, "Oh, I had to go back to work," and I'm like, "Here's I've been my middle here the finger." Whole time. I left for like a month and then went back in person. <laughs> So it has been a while. So we didn't do a 2020. Uh, I did with Jennifer Lovely. Yeah. So you can listen to that at uh, Don't Read the Latin uh, if you want to get a horror top 10 with Kim and Jen. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. And uh, Jen's probably one of the, like, the two people listening to this. So Woo! thank you, Jennifer and Jason, and maybe Eric and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. Nicole. Yeah, sometimes Nicole. Well, yeah. there we go. Yeah, so we have five it's listeners. Our so listener we, base we right there. Um, there we go. Hey, and you know what? If we double it, that'll be 10 people. <gasps> yeah. Actually, I've never actually looked at her numbers, so I have no idea if anyone actually listens to us. I do get some messages occasionally. It's like, so I know someone listened to it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then I'll, I'll put, you know, and we haven't posted anything on the website in forever because WordPress is being a jerk to me and I need to figure out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I had problems the other day, yeah. so. Uh, I'll get that worked out and City of Eek will come back full-fledged now. At... Stronger than ever. Yeah. I, I realized I'm definitely a media presence. Rather, <laughs> I'm a shit writer. And that's okay. <laughs> I've accepted that about well, myself. That's why we do the videos, too. Yeah, the I'm a prolific tweeter. Yeah, I so we all the things lot. that work for us, uh, and hopefully we'll come back and just you know get more stuff out there. So with with this one, you know our, our best uh, best and worst of 2021, we should come back uh, for a handful of listeners and readers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, of course, Omnicon's still out there. COVID's still out there, but hopefully with the movies playing more theatrically. And us be able to get together more. Now things are a little calmer. Hopefully we can continue this and get things moving again. Amen. Um, Amen. It's sad to say, like, the world really hasn't gone back to normal, but a lot of people are pretending it has, and so have the studios. So I guess we, we have to do that, too. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, but, yeah, we were doing our, our top ten, but it, yeah, it's, been, uh, it's been a while, so we might have, like, first listeners, too, of, like, who are these people. Um, so <laughs> probably introduce ourselves. I'll start to my right, and then we can just go around. I'm Cody. I'm Kim. I am Tony. And I am Bob. And uh, you can find all our stuff at forcecitygeek.com. But uh, I know at least Kim and Tony, you guys write and do podcasts for other people too. So you want to plug those at the beginning right here? Uh, Sure. Uh, I participate actually on a number of different podcasts. Uh, Myself and my friend Gabby do Ghoulish Tendencies, which is a podcast on all things... I don't know, weird and creepy. We cover true crime. We cover the paranormal. We cover, we just did an episode on the Dover Demon. 
mm-hmm. that should be coming out on Tuesday and is a lot of fun. Uh, and you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, I also have been participating in a podcast called A Night in Question, which is a fictional podcast. It's been kind of a fun foray into uh, a more more like dramatic horror podcast, so that's been really fun. And I guess on a lot of people's podcasts, uh, I do other stuff. I don't know. I can't think of it right Spook now. Spook in Seattle. Oh, yeah, Spook in Seattle. I do uh, tours. Tea and True Crime. I have a Tea and True... I'm not sure if this is coming out before the Tea and True Crime. I hope it is. What I, do. But, uh, I have a Tea and True Crime coming up on, I think, the 16th. Yes. Whatever that Sunday is. It'll be John Wayne Gacy. And hopefully this time we'll actually get to go because we have to keep postponing it. Ah, yes. Here's fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. Crossed. Uh, I am Tony. And in addition to hanging out with these three lovely human beings. I also write for a couple of different websites here in town, uh, one of them being thesunbreak.com, and I cover film at that website. Uh, I also write about music uh, with a focus on Pacific Northwest music at artisthome.org, which has been a little bit dormant of late, uh, but every few weeks we do post something, and there's lots of lovely music-related content there. Okay. Uh, I'm just... Tony's coming out really low in this. Is there a way to turn up the actual incoming volume? Turn the gain up. Yeah, sure. Does that mean... That, that, that might work. Okay. Uh, hopefully I can do it in post as well. I don't really edit these, um, so you'll hear us crunching we'll and talking. Edit we'll edit it in post. We'll, we'll, we'll fix it in fix post. It in post. We'll Which fix it in post. something I, I don't do. Right. I don't have the time for that. Is that, is that better? Um, do we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, definitely coming up higher. Uh, okay. Kim's I... actually breaking in, as she always does. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 I do farther back if you want. I do, I, I do, do uh, like a leveling. I, I know. Normally, <laughs> normally I can project my voice fairly well. So maybe so... when I turn down just a little bit, I guess. I don't know where it's at. Uh, Ooh, so sorry this, to anyone at home. Does, it, does this does this make it like the director's cut of this episode <laughs> of City of Geek? I'm hoping so. Are they uh, all the director's cuts? Uh, so like, I want. Good point. Is the uh, is the full. Uh, audio file of that time that Bob wasn't here and we got to run it ourselves. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I went to go see John John Waters. Yep. I feel like at some point we did a bunch of shit talking and we were like, Bob, you have to cut this. Yep. There's like a huge I chunk. I don't remember what we were shit talking. But it was something. I think I, I, I have some famous person and some other stuff and then oh, some, of the, yeah. some people that we know, I think. It's been a while. I don't think we were shit talking people we know. I think we were just talking and we were like, I wonder if this would be weird. I don't know. Maybe we were shit-talking. I can't tell. I'm a notorious shit-talker. But today we are doing our top tens of 2021. Um, and as uh, I think this is before we started recording, uh, talking about how some stuff might actually be 2022 or 2020 releases, depending on when we saw it and how interested we are. Because um, some stuff we might saw a festival that might be actually coming out next year. Um, stuff stuff might have come out last year in festivals, so you might count as 2020, um, and then watched it this year. Uh, so it all depends on if, if you think it's a different year. Um, that, cool, that's your prerogative. Because there's different ways to use that. Letterboxd might have one year, INDB has another one, uh, Metacritic has a different one. So whatever whatever makes you, makes you happy. Um, so we'll be running through uh, some things we'll mention on here. It's like we're going to go through and if we... If I mention something, or Cody mentions a movie, and it's somebody up some Slater on someone's list, someone else, someone can pop in, say that's that what they're that Slater up on their list, and then we'll delay the talk until then. Um, and I think everyone else here will agree that um, list, you know, movie watching is subjective, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think most of our lists probably are some mixture of subjective and objective, probably leading more into like, of course, never no movies are really objective when you look at it. But like I know for, for a lot of mine, if it feels like I know some of these. 
have better movies that are further down my quest yeah. that aren't here that like technically might be a much better film. Yeah. Uh, but if it makes me happy, that's where it's at. And this is this is where that's yeah. how I fall into it. I, I hate a lot of movies this year where I'm like, technically some of these are definitely not the best movies mm-hmm. that that I probably saw this year, but they were the ones that I not just thought were really well done, but I enjoyed. Exactly. And I like there was a few movies and I, I I'll Hold off saying talking yeah, about I'm my case. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was a few movies that were and and critically have gotten a lot of attention and I, I thought were fascinating, really well done, but I was just like, I'm kinda left cold by this, or I don't I didn't have a good time watching it. I can recognize it as being a really well constructed film, but I can't say I want to watch it again. Uh, and so it wouldn't make my list or it was higher up my list. So yeah, no, it's it's always kind of a weird thing making these lists. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I was it, editing mine right before we started too. Yeah, <laughs> no, me too. And if you and if you split hairs enough, there really is no such thing as total objectivity yeah, in regards no, to no interpreting way, no. a piece yeah. of art. So absolutely. Um, that said, um, that's where I. That's kind of the vantage point that I came from with my list. Uh, just the things that I enjoyed the most, mm-hmm. and I will readily admit that there are at least two movies on my list, and I might specify them. I might not. Where I thought they were deeply flawed, um, but. The parts, the aspects of them that worked for me, worked for me so well and in, enraptured me so much that I, I had to put them on the list. Yeah, I, yeah I, that's I, a, I have that come on. Just, yeah. But I just want to say, because there's always, always some people like, no, no, you need to look at directly, like, no way is that a top ten movies. Like, it is for me. It is for you know? me, exactly. Yeah. Even if yeah. I recognize there's an issue here, and I, I have one in particular in mind that I know I have several issues with the way it was pans out. But it still made me personally happy. So that's, that's mm-hmm. where it's at. Yeah, but, it's uh, yeah, we'll get those things as, yeah. as we get to them. So why don't, anything before we start? We're going to do like 10 through, you know, 4, and then we'll jump over to worst. And we'll, we'll try and do that kind of quicker. I know a lot of people are trying to move past bad movies and talk about what they liked. Um, and then we'll come back to the top three, maybe some honor mentions around that point. Although there is a unique joy in shit talking. Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. There I was is. Say, and I have, a feeling, I have a feeling there's one thing... That some of us are really going to shit talk about, and I'm I can. I got, I'm actually interested to see. What I got I, I got one that I'm couple, so excited to I'm just really could, poop on. Yeah, so I've I've got, got, I, I, I like it, but I know, but I know like various other film critics are like, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's some work. Someone went into this and they tried really hard. It's like, yeah, they still fucking failed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can admire. <laughs> hey, somebody put a lot of effort into this. Yeah. It's still shit. Hey. But, uh, but let's talk about that when we get there. Why don't we just start with our number uh, 10, and uh, why don't we just start on my right here. Uh, Cody, what is your number 10 this year? Okay. I'm going to write this down as we go along. Decided two minutes ago. Glad <laughs> uh, <laughs> you put thought into this. My number 10 is going to be Army of the Dead. Army of the oh. Dead. Which I still haven't, I haven't seen. seen I have I. really liked it. I've been waiting for a Zack Snyder zombie movie yeah. pretty much since Dawn of the Dead. And it's not written by James Gunn, and you can definitely tell that James Gunn's script really helped. Uh, there are definitely some flaws in the film. Um, some of the... I think there's too many characters, and I think that not everybody has a satisfying arc. However, you've still got Batista mowing down zombies. I mean, I, I like Batista. And isn't it, is it Tignatera's in it, isn't she? Yeah. Tignatera, yeah. She replaced yeah. someone else. She replaced Chris Dial after it turns out he was right. you know, a, a horrible sex fiend. Yeah, and, I love Batista um, and I love Tig, so I always It was great. Right it was, I really thought it was a lot of fun. Um, them showing the beginning of kind of how it starts uh, and <laughs> actually getting kind of like a what happened. Um, 
Batista definitely carries it. People really underestimate him as a. I like him. I readily agree. I readily agree. He's very watchable too. He is very watchable, and I think he's also he has that thing that I think a lot of a lot of the strongest action stars have, which he is. uh, He there's an inherent relatability in him somewhere that I think a lot of people can connect with, and I also think he is just genuinely overlooked as being a good instinctual actor. He just he has presence on camera. Good sense of comedy. Too. Exactly yeah. great. I mean, really the Guardians, those of Guardians comedy. of the Galaxy movies are clear. And evidence. the thing is, I really really like about him too is that he can play different characters. I love The Rock, but The Rock plays The Rock in everything. Oh yeah, The Rock yeah. is yeah. The Rock, and that's, that's part of why true. we tune in. And we love exactly. The Rock because he's yeah. the charisma of The Rock, yeah. and you know, even say John Cena still plays a lot. Of yeah, the same. he plays. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. like Batista, there's so much of a difference. In yeah. the roles he plays, from the when he was in Blade Runner, this obviously you know Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy. Even um, a little bit Inspector. I didn't like Spectre, but he was fine in it. Oh yeah, I forgot he was. <laughs> I think I almost watched it a couple times during Hundred Days of Horror, and it's over two hours if I remember correctly. I went and saw it in Cinemark with Carolyn. It's almost oh, three see. hours. I think it's like two hours forty. Yeah, it's like two well, hours forty. That was the it thing that, that would because I I just remember being like. You know, it's day 63 and you just want to have a movie done. <laughs> so you're like, do I want to spend three hours or, oh, hey, look, a 70-minute movie. Boom, 70-minute movie wins. Did you, did you watch the prequel, too? Or? Um, did that come out? There's a prequel? Out, yeah. Okay, no, I thought it came Yeah, out. basically, oh. when he launched it, he launched it as uh, there's going to be an anime series. Oh, wow. Showing the fall of Las Vegas. And then there's a prequel based on the safe cracker and a sequel that he wants to make. Um... To so this he <laughs> definitely wanted to like do his full vision. It's like the Snyder Cut, but yeah, pretty much, yes, pretty much. Huh. It's, a, it's a long movie too. You know, yeah. there's no getting around that. There are definitely some stuff they could have easily cut and saved mm. some time. But overall, I thought what? it was fun. Snyder needed to cut a movie. No, <laughs> what? I'm He's shocked. shocked. Well, yeah, I'll, I need to check that out. And now, like, I, I think I told you guys before we started, it's like, I'm going to watch everything on that on these lists that I haven't seen uh, after this. Uh, and now this, is where, this is where Cody throws it a bunch of Trump stuff. Just, <laughs> just, just so I'd watch you. it. Maybe, I, maybe I, that's where I cut the line, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to lose America if you put it yeah, on That's the where the editing does happen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Cam, uh, what's your number 10? Uh, my number 10, oh yeah. My number 10 is a movie called Coda. I haven't mm. seen it. it uh, it's one of the few <laughs> non-horror movies on my list. And uh, it is the, the story of a girl, a teen girl, whose entire family is deaf. And she is the one hearing member of her family. And her family has a uh, like fishing business. They live in, in Massachusetts. And they rely very heavily on her. She's still in high school, but they rely, rely really heavily on her to uh, kind of just help them navigate things uh and her her brother's deaf her parents are deaf and she discovers that she has a real talent for singing which is a thing that her family struggles to connect with her with because uh they they can't hear her and and it's it you know marley matt matlin's in it who uh oh, wow. from children of the lesser god children of the lesser god and who i'm just i i first was exposed to her actually from picket fences back a million years ago oh, wow. uh when i was younger but i i absolutely adore her and it's the cast is great the acting's fantastic it's not you know reinventing the wheel in terms of storytelling but it's a really heartfelt sweet funny story and it was one of those movies that i watched and i think i immediately i was like texting my mom and dad being like this is a movie you guys should watch you're gonna enjoy it and it just made me feel good 
I and I, I needed more of that this year. So it was it was really sweet. It was really well done. The acting is fantastic, and it was also just nice to see some really talented deaf actors. Yeah. I had to ask, like, yeah. outside of Marley Matt, and it was, oh no, the, all of the yeah. deaf actors are are deaf and and that was really important in terms of uh i know marley madden i want to say i don't know if she's a producer on the film too but i know she was heavily involved in in how they brought it all together and and that's something she really advocates for yeah i always i always like seeing her like west wing and oh yeah 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 Yeah, and like this i think it's been an interesting year for for deaf actors because we see Mm -hmm. in in hawkeye uh Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's on anyone's list yet because i count miniseries as, as as things um and then, or uh, Eternals, which if I don't know if it's anyone's list, it's not on mine, but yeah, deaf actress. And and what I loved about how Eternals dealt with it is, it was just like, oh yeah, she's deaf. It was not a, <laughs> it wasn't beyond just like, oh yeah, she's deaf. It was not a, it was not a thing. And I, I really enjoyed that too, where it, it was just, again, uh, nice to have some diversity within. Um, but no, uh, Coda. Yeah, if you want just a really heartfelt, sweet movie uh, with with some really fantastic acting, I, I recommend it. Cool, cool. I have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony. Well, um, uh, my number ten is uh, actually one of those movies that I thought was extremely flawed, but that really um, did so many things so beautifully. I had to include it on my list. Uh, and, it is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. That almost made my list, and it got bumped kind of last minute. I, but yeah, I wanted to see it with my mom, and now it's not playing in the theater. We it's go still, to. oh yeah, oh, it's, it's still playing downtown. Yeah. But I saw it at SIF. But no, I'm I'm with you. It it was very flawed, but I thought very beautifully put together. Yeah, I mean, I Guillermo del Toro has become. Uh, cinema's most preeminent um, teller of dark fairy tales. Uh-huh. It is his jam. And um, so this is actually really appropriate subject matter. It's a film noir. It's not, you know, it, there aren't really any fantastic elements, uh, which is something that has pretty much walked through all of his movies. Uh, that said, uh, this take on, I think it's an Edmund Golding novel, it's also basically technically a remake of a classic 1947 film noir. Is um, it is ju- it was just the most succulent and delicious eye candy I experienced all year, and I think that was immeasurably improved by seeing it in a theater. Yeah. And kind of one of the you know, one of the recurring things of my list, I think, is that the majority of things I have on here are either things I saw in a theater or things that I knew for a fact would play in an amazing way in a theater. Mm-hmm. And this really was one of them. Um, again, as Kim addressed, it does have its flaws. Yeah. And I think, for me, chief among them is I just... Um, I could not hang my hat on um, Bradley Cooper's characterization of the lead. Um, I actually like Cooper quite a bit. I think he's a good actor. And there's another movie that didn't quite make my list this year that I think he does an amazing supporting turn in. And he does really handle the very dark um, places that the movie goes to, especially at the end, really well. Mm-hmm. He's riveting. Yes. And the final scene, Cooper's final oh, scene in Nightmare oh God, Alley, yes. is one for the ages. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it actually beats out that same tumble from glory that Tyrone's power, Tyrone Powers' character experiences in the original um, screen adaptation of Nightmare Alley. Um, 
that was kind of, and so that left me a little bit emotionally unmoored but jesus christ you could live in the rest of that movie it is so breathtakingly shot so faultlessly lit so beautifully edited i mean i you know on all of those levels del toro's running at absolutely all eight cylinders and uh, it helps that the rest of the cast is just oh, yeah. unbeatable Top notch. phenomenal uh, and and just the look the look he gets for his films, he's, he's one of those filmmakers that really does period right. And yet he can also imbue it with a sense of appropriate, in this case, funhouse um, surrealism. It feels yeah. both like familiar to reality, but surreal at the same yeah, time. But exactly. It does it's have that step dream out. quality. Like, like, like yeah. a lot of noir does. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that's, which is actually... The art deco look of the, of the of like, mm-hmm. well, I like the... The, the mixture of like the carnival world and the Art Deco city world and how yeah. they yeah. are almost the same but different like yeah. in a different way like, and how they, they clash and how that comes together. Like I saw an early cut movie that was like seven minutes shorter than what actually theatrically released. So I'm interested in seeing how mm. it looks ultimately. So I get to see breaking the indie, I guess. But uh, now the movie's out. It's okay. Um, I saw like an early cut, the, apparently the first public screening of it. Um, and Kibbo Tortoro is going to show up and yeah. just <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll be with the guy in the curiosities. Uh, yeah, I, was, I, yeah, I didn't think it quite one hundred percent worked. Like I didn't think I think there's a not just in the look, but this the story connection. Like I was like I got I got really invested in the first part, and then kind of like when he goes off and does his own thing, yeah. kind of taken out until me a little yeah. bit to get back I, into the movie. So I think there's yeah. that mm-hmm. there's that dip. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if maybe that got worked out. Uh, Ultimately, but that was like that was like my biggest takeaway. Is like it just doesn't. There's that separation of like the carny world and the and the and the city world that didn't connect. But I thought Bradley Cooper did great. But of course, he's surrounded by Willem Dafoe, yeah, yeah. and I don't yeah. like Rooney, Marty, Rooney Mara very much. Most things, but like she's fine. Kate Blanchett steals. Yeah, yeah absolutely say, steals it every yeah. time she's on on stage. It's like boom, she she's got well, it. I appreciate too, like that. Del Toro has this kind of stable of regular actors he started using, too. Yes. When he works with somebody he likes, he brings them back as much. If, if he can bring you back, he will. And I mean, Ron Perlman being, being one of them who's in freaking everything he does. But like, I just God bless Ron Perlman. But I, you know? what I really like when you when you have a director who, who has those actors is you really start to see on film the kind of trust on both sides. And I, yes. I think that strengthens everything you're seeing because you have actors who are willing to just do it and go there and try things and be whatever because they trust the director and a director who trusts his actors to take the things where they need to go and who's also willing to adapt or adjust based on what his actors say. Yes. And I think Del Toro is amazing at both giving a very... Uh, very you know working well with actors and working well with special effects. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you don't you get one or the other. Exactly. Uh, I mean, and yeah, he gets he gets both. Oh, George Lucas. Yeah. That's sure. actually first person I thought of said that. I'm like, I'm like yeah. yeah. Uh, that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard. Um, it's, it's a hard balance to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this movie sumptuous. It looks so good. It really does, and I think and I think it makes all the difference in the universe to see it in a theater. Mm-hmm. That, that and that again, that's going to be a recurring theme on my. And on it's my list. Uh, but yeah, without spoiling like for anything. I happens later on but like the amount of setup and that's thing that i do want to say to follow up with like even though disconnect that i felt but everything in the first half does reflect in the back half 
um, everything at then I, I didn't realize like setting up like oh I see oh I see where it's going and then even stuff I didn't even click to later I'm like oh yeah that there that was you know yeah. uh, it was important even if I didn't feel it at the time you know yeah um, but yeah I, I I highly recommend you see it in the theater if you can. highly highly if you can <laughs> please brave the plague infected masses and, <laughs> and take a shot at it um, if it's or make sure that you <laughs> watch it downtown, you know, know on a super giant. TV, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I hope it'll. Yeah, I know it didn't do well theatrically, but hopefully it will do better at home. You know? I think it came right. out in an unfortunate time yeah. too. Like it's I not the it kind of movie. Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's not the kind of movie that's going to compete well against really big blockbuster movies. You well, know? and right now nothing is since every, yeah. every everyone people were saving their movie trips. They're not going out every few days. Yeah. They're not going out every week, every two weeks. They're going out for this and yeah. then for this and then for this you know yeah and i and i think that's because those are traditional definitions of a movie you need to see on a big screen that mm-hmm. would be a marvel movie that would be some sort of you know insert blockbuster here um but which is a shame because you get movies like this which are just absolutely genetically engineered to be played in a theater mm-hmm. this this movie just screams to be on on a big screen in a communal environment where you can just let it wash over you and not turn it on in the background while you're doing the dishes or yeah. whatever. You it need really, to pay attention. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, and that's, I mean, I would always, you know, yeah. old school me, I would say you need to do that with every movie, yeah. whether it's shit or great, but especially with this one. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, Nightmare Alley, check it out. Uh, so my number 10 is The Green Knight. Oh, it's higher on okay. the list. So we'll just could have pin on that. <laughs> <laughs> but save... All of your thoughts. Yes, saving all every one of my thoughts will be for later on. Uh, so, Cody, what's your number nine? Conjuring three. Conjuring three. Okay. I whoa really liked it. Okay. I thought it was definitely weaker than the other films by far. However, I'm not gonna say no to Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga doing another movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it was definitely a, a step down. <laughs> but. Considering I haven't seen as many as everyone else, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was just fun to sit and watch it. We did, uh, Carolyn and I watched all of the Conjuring universe kind of built up to it. Yeah, I always so, like to do that. Yeah. Um, I got really, I, I thought that John Noble plays a nice bit part in it. As the exposition number, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> My ex, uh, you know, being a fr- fan of Fringe back in the day, that, that's always nice to see him again. Yeah, this landed at 78 for me. I gave it three stars, ultimately. I saw 122 yeah. movies this year. I uh, would probably. Theatrically. Yeah, I, I'm I'd probably. Theatrically. <laughs> 2021, but. You yeah. know, like, I think it, it tops Army of the Dead in that I think there are two or three really, really, really good performances that kind of fill in when it's not super great. Yeah, I think. I liked it enough, but I also think it was missing a lot of, like, what makes a Conjuring or Conjuring Universe movie. Like, I appreciate, like, the... I really I, I, want I, to know what Ken thinks. I, I, the um, are I was going to say what I had to think till my other list. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> so we'll save it for the So uh, we don't want... Uh, we don't want to Kim's movies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've heard the defense of it. I want to hear the uh, the defense the pro- rests, Yana. The prosecution will come back to it later. And the, the solidly in the middle, I'm just going to say I think it lacks a lot of what made other ones work. A lot of the, the set pieces, I think it's a little 
disconnected. Like the things happen, and then it's kind of like let's do a little re- bit of research instead of being a, a thing again and again. Yeah, it was uh, a detective movie for yeah. a while, and it's like it needed a, a more it needed, cohesive. Yeah, I wish they'd done the werewolf one that they were gonna do. <laughs> Might as well go full fiction. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, fuck well, it. the. We'll talk about that for the warrants or <laughs> later on, but Tim, number nine. <laughs> uh, my number nine. Oh yes, um, the vigil. Vigil. Ooh, oh, nice. This I is an argumentation for me. Which, uh, again, in terms of of, it's not like anything they're doing has not been done before. Um, the basic premise of the movie is is a young man who is has left his Orthodox Jewish community, and his his former rabbi comes back and and says, you know, I can help you make a little money to sit vigil for this man who has recently died. The the man who was supposed to do it ran basically like ran away, which should have been a sign. And so he he sits vigil and of, as as you can probably predict, all these strange supernatural things start to happen. Um, it had some genuinely really creepy oh, moments yes. in it. Um, it's it's not that anything in it is is something that any horror fan will not have seen before. But I, I was really impressed with how tight and how tense. It, it wastes no time jumping right in, uh, which I appreciate. And, oh, absolutely. And, yeah, I appreciate any movie that can take a small setting, a small cast, and still make something really interesting. And, I mean, I was, I was rivet on, riveted on the screen the entire time. Uh, and I thought the, the lead performance was, was really fantastic. Um, so I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really nice, tight, supernatural film. Yeah, it's on my, my honorable mentions. Okay, I ultimately ended up 24 on my list. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I thought it was a, used everything with such, like, it's intensity. It, it kept ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. Never really stopped letting go. And every time you thought I let go, it came back. Yeah, as a horror fan, I saw where some of the things were. Like, oh, I yeah. look here, this is what... Mm-hmm. But even then, it was like, it was so well done the way it did it. You know, I I try not to give movies crap, like, for all oh, I know where this is going, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, we know where movies are going. Okay, well, but, and, and I think, again, if, if you can take some... I don't know, it reminds me of... Um, I had old acting teachers used to say this. If you're going to use a monologue or a song that is really well-known or done a lot familiar and there's a reason most of these are familiar it's because they're really good pieces like cliches exactly that's what i told my students when they were writing stories last year you know if you're going to to use one of these pieces that's that's really well known then it needs to be the best that anyone's ever seen and that's kind of what i felt like watching this is that it it was familiar tropes um i knew the beats of what was going to happen but it was just really really well executed so i didn't care that I could tell where everything that was going to happen was going to happen. I was still very much invested in the characters and invested in this world. Well, I think it's also one of the times where the director knows, the writer-director, I think the same, yeah, yeah. knows that most people watching this are going to be aware. Yeah. And so they play to that without being twisty on it. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I know what people expect, I know this, but yeah, it just, uh, yeah, it was so unsettling. I, yeah, no, it was, it was, I just thought it was, it was really, really, really well constructed and uh, it stuck with me too and that was sort of what pushed it to fully be on my list was that it was one that stuck with me afterwards and for me that is uh is telling if a movie sticks with me if i i'm still thinking about it thinking through it um then it, it's it's significant 
Awesome. I, I've been dying to see it, actually. It is on, on my list, list so. but I have not had a chance to see it. And I'm a sucker for anything that draws from uh, traditional, like, uh, religious or historical folklore, which the vigil does. Yeah, and I don't even know that folklore, but I wasn't taken out of it, you know. Yeah. It wasn't those things like, I, just, I don't feel connected because I don't know what it is. Like, they, know, they don't explain enough, but enough so it's not over-explaining, but also that's not... I, I don't get that, it. And that's great, you know, because I think, I think one of the underrated arts of a really really good horror movie is to be able to balance telling the audience what it needs to know with what it doesn't need to know and maintaining a sense of uh, mystery you know there, there's only so much that you can know before you demystify something yeah. and the from the sounds of it the vigil straddles that nine really that line really well so yeah uh, oh that's me, number nice. nine, right? Um, yeah, sir. My number nine uh, is Pig. Oh, I need to see oh, this. I need to see this. I, I, I've heard it. It's no, I, I saw it again. It was it was close to making my top ten. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I was really captivated with this, mm-hmm. and I mean, part of it is just going in um, with my immense fondness for Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I I mean, you know, Cage really pretty much for the better part of this century literally has been in has been in like in full-on cage rage character character actor you know larger than life mode and I love him that way I love seeing Nicolas Cage to walk up to where the top is go over that and then climb a ladder and go over that because it's part of his jam and he's and he's wonderful in that mode but pig is such a wonderful and astonishing reminder of what a um, deeply sensitive actor he is and when he, and how nuanced he can be um, in a performance um, pig in case you don't know I'll give you the basic setup because it's in the trailer is um, uh, cage plays a five-star Michelin chef who has basically decided to basically uh, cut himself off from the rest of civilization and he basically ekes out a living in the woods by himself um, hunting for truffles and he owns a um, a truffle snorting pig uh, and the pig is stolen and the remainder of the movie this happens in the next couple of, of or the, the first couple of minutes it's the setup and then from there it is his quest to retrieve his pig uh, and all of the kind of emotional roller coaster that that entails and uh, it sounds like it's silly and the trailer makes it look like um, you're gonna get uh, Rambo looking for his pig John Wick with a with a pig fixation mm-hmm. yeah um, but it the great one of the great things about the movie is it is not that no it's not that at all it is really not that. In fact, it's really a very moving meditation on the uh, consideration uh, on um, uh, love in isolation. You know, like pure familial love in isolation, as well as um, the specter of grief hanging over someone's head, the mm-hmm. worry of the worst. Um, and uh, the director, he's also the writer, Michael Sarnowski, um, really takes care of all of this with a very delicate touch. I mean, this is basically, this is, uh, and you've all alluded to this, this movie is not what you think it's going yeah. to be going in. I haven't in. seen it, but I'm just yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's terrific. It, it powerfully moved me. I found myself tearing up at oh, least yeah. once during yeah. this film. I just think it's a really effective movie. I think it 
it speaks to great things for Sarnowski to come. And it also just, in my mind, cements the fact that I think um, Nicolas Cage is one of the best actors working today. Yeah, absolutely. That he can, he can really, he can do anything. And again, I love Cage Rage Cage, mm-hmm. but the, the one that I see in this movie is so moving and so powerfully nuanced. Uh, more just, leaving Las Vegas Cage than... Exactly, yeah. it's yeah. definitely in that direction. And subtle. Yes. Like, uh, genuinely subtle. Yeah. And, um, and and really does a good job, interestingly enough, maybe he's not trying, but he does a good job of subverting the expectation that we all have mm-hmm. that he's going to go into full-on cage rage. Um, although... I'll leave it as a spoil as as a spoiler and not say too much more about yeah. the emotional arc his character takes because it's really <laughs> wonderful to watch him take that arc like any great actor. So yeah, Pig, very good movie. I will also say I, I appreciate in it how there's moments with very little dialogue. Yes, and how well that translates. Yes. And also another movie that unfortunately I didn't see it on a big screen, but I wish I would have because it's got some beautiful um, Oregon wilderness location photography. Oh, yeah. And um, it is beautifully shot. Uh, So, yeah, I Mm -hmm. highly, highly recommend uh, you check out Pig. Yeah, no, it's it's quite good. It's quite good. Yeah, I was planning on seeing it. It was one of the ones I was trying to get in before we recorded. Didn't didn't (laughs) quite get there. There's a lot of them. (laughs) I think it's on Hulu, too. It's it's, on Hulu, yeah. It's accessible. I watched it with my folks on Christmas Day. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) But if you you do want to see Rage Cage uh, coming out in... April twenty second. Oh my god! The, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> yeah, the the un, what, the unbearable weight of massive talent. A massive talent. Where he plays himself being hired by Pedro Pascal to go to oh, an island. Yeah. And I that, that's all I know. Of it. I, I saw that trailer. Like Dracula in He's, Renfield comedy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and he and there's something else that's coming out uh, with him in it that I can't. Ha- my love for Nick. And, oh, oh, his wife is pregnant. Oh, cool. My brother like called me yesterday to be like, "There's going to be another cage in the world," <laughs> and I just uh, my my love for I mean I have Man, a freaking what? pillow like yeah I'm still getting he's a in the cage right now. now right I don't know Fifth, I thought he's maybe in the late sexies. That's he's, he's, he's in the sexies he's in the sexies and he's obviously not shooting blanks he's still got it good for him oh yeah hell yeah brother what's your number eight Bob. Um, oh, number nine. nine. Or your number yeah, nine. Number, number nine. nine. Uh, my number, number nine, nine is Spider-Man: No Way Home. That's higher on my higher list. Higher on my list. Okay, cool. So we'll pause that for now. And I haven't seen it, so I get to <laughs> I get to sit around and look like a deer with its glazed um, eyes staring into headlights. <laughs> now you know what I feel, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number Cody. eight was kind of a surprise because I I only saw this because my mom wanted to see it. It's not something I seek out. It's No Time to Die. Mm. Ooh. I thought no time to get syphilis. <laughs> I thought it was a little long, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. A James Bond movie too long. This one's long for no. you for James Bond. Yeah, it's like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought Daniel Craig did a really good performance. Um, I thought that Remy Malek as the villain was not super yeah. great. He was basically just—it just reminded me of Freddie Mercury being the villain. See that I would watch. <laughs> That's a James Bond film I would watch the hell out of. You know, I think one of the... I, too, I just want to second some Daniel Craig love as Bond because I think he is terrific playing that character. And I think one of the things that they have done right with the Bond movies that feature him is they have... The the best ones, which are Casino Royale and really... Yeah. uh, The the rest I'm okay on. Um, But Casino Royale in particular, and I'm hoping No Time to Die... 
really does a good job. Uh, Craig does a really good job of capturing a character that is between two worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an old school, you know, like you know, alpha male grunting guy who also has to face the reality that that type of person is outmoded and he needs to learn to adapt and change. And he also needs to open up his eyes to the fact that, you know, it's not just rugged white bros who are going to um, save the world. Yeah. You know? and I that's, can't imagine it, why these are movies I don't like watching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, I think Craig is aware of that so he tries to have it happen. Exactly. So that's why he's trying to lead the franchise. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's, which is testament to how great of an actor is. Yeah. I, I do I, want to see this yeah. and I'd love to see it on a big screen. Yeah, I like... Yeah, okay. I, I like his Bond. I didn't like this movie. Uh, but this this is in, in the middle for me. Um, I think the first third was amazing, and then it just falls off into a crappy script. <laughs> uh, it really James is. Bond it, when it when it leaves script? when it leaves Cuba, it just kind <laughs> of falls. Bond. Like the best things the scene with uh yeah, you know, and and the and she never comes back. Just you know, and like I expected her to pop back in, but her scene's amazing. She's so good, and I thought the rest of the movie was. <laughs> Wake me when I just sell this, James Bond. <laughs> I thought, I, I, and I thought I it really, I, really I, got I, carried on its uh, on its visuals. Mm-hmm. I and thought that it was really I, well shot. It's really a great. I'll give it that. Treat to look at. It has its definite failings in some points, but that and Daniel Craig carry it to number eight on my list. Yes, and I I will say that um, I the trailer is one of the best trailers I've seen for an action movie in the last five years. When I first saw the trailer for No Time to Die, I was like, whoa. Again, saw it in the theater the first time. Made a difference. I'm excited to see where they go with it next. Yeah. Is, and who they go with next. Yeah. Actually, I am actually genuinely curious who is going to pick yeah. it up. And in regards to what Tony was talking about, like I think the best thing for them to do is to leave the modern age and move uh-huh. to be like a swing 60s. Not like not like Austin Powersy, but like they can have Bond be more of that without feeling like a guy out of out of time. Anachronistic, exactly. Yeah, groovy yes. baby. Even like in, like just go like kind of like the current DC route of like just a bunch of in dis, inter, de, disconnected movies with maybe different time different time periods, different James Bonds. You know, you can play with it. You know, absolutely. And, Agreed. And I think the, the Spider Verse with James Bond. <laughs> but I think that one of the downsides of the Craig era was trying to make them all connect, and I think that was a disservice. Uh, it's too bad we don't have some video with Kim's <laughs> wrinkle face. Don't Kim, do that. Kim's to the gross face. Don't do that. So, so Kim, uh, <laughs> what was your number? Hey, if Idris Elba's in there. Oh well, then it's, there listen. Go. If Idris Elba's in it, I'll watch it. Like that's just mm. that's yep. just Sonic the Hedgehog too. I will oh, watch right. it. He voices Knuckles. <laughs> well, voicing is different because then I don't get to enjoy the pretty. Yeah, but he's got a sexy voice for Knuckles. Yeah, well, have, unless like, he's unless he's going, Kim, come on over here. Yes, yeah, then that's, it's not going to work. It's not going to carry. Then it's so, tailored for me. There you go. Uh, my number eight may end up being higher up someone's list too. Uh, Candyman. Oh yeah, higher on my list. Cool. I fi- I I I figured it might be higher up someone else's list. It was again. A, I struggled where to put it on my list. Full I, disclosure. I very close, very yeah. close to my top ten. Yeah, it um, ended up below mine, but we'll wait until it gets higher. Because up. it's higher so. up. So cool. So that means it's Tony. All right, um, my number eight, which I suspect is not going to be on any of your lists, is Edgar Wright's documentary, The Sparks Brothers. 
which I think is terrific. Um, sometimes all you need is a fascinating subject and a filmmaker's immeasurable love of that subject to carry a good documentary. And this is a very good documentary. Uh, for the uninitiated, uh, kind of a quick Cliff's note, Sparks is a band that started in California, founded by two um, very creative and very uh, acerbically funny uh, brothers named uh, Ron and Russell Mayo. And uh, they started recording in the early 70s, and they've recorded up to this day. They've always sort of flirted with fame but never quite been there they've had a really unique career they they were relatively obscure here in the states and then in the early 70s their label trucked them off almost as an afterthought to england and they became huge british pop stars um proffering a brand of rock and roll that basically sounded like at least initially it sounded uh a lot like queen uh if it was written by preston sturgis or buster <laughs> keaton uh, or Warner Brothers, I think, is even a better way to put it. They're wonderfully clever musicians, uh, completely unique, uh, and uh, this documentary does a really good job of tracing their entire career, how they evolved from being sort of like almost like a spoof of glam rock to uh, a spoof of hard rock to uh, jumping in on New Wave when it was a very early thing and really embracing it and finding that it fit their um, sardonic wit very well. Um, uh, it's just, it's got a treasure trove of great clips. Uh, and it, it, it was, I was really familiar with the 80s version of Sparks, which is the new wave version of Sparks. But this opened my eyes to everything they did before and also everything they're doing now. This is one of those rare bands where uh, you know, they've been basically going for about 50 years and they still feel fresh and different and strange and like they still have other creative places to go. And that's very rare in rock and roll. And Edgar Wright, uh, again, just the, the affection that he has for these two guys and for the music that they've created over the last 50 years is just palpable and infectious. And again, this classic case of you know, it was not a reinvention of the wheel, but man, it was just fun to watch it roll. Yeah, I need to see this. I'm a fan of Sparks. I, I never actually heard of them until my uh, my father-in-law is a giant fan of Sparks. Like that's all we, that's all like my my wife yeah. heard growing up. Um, and so because <laughs> of him, I started listening to him, like all oh, these guys are great. Like yeah. they like hippopotamus. I think my my favorite of the records. Yeah. Um, I could get all music nerd <laughs> about their about their career. And, uh, I love them so. So much. I really need to see this because I I never even heard of them before. But like as soon as I heard them, like oh I love these guys. This, yeah, you this will is exactly it. what it's, like it's, I think you messaged me after 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 you saw them. Like have you seen this? Do you even know who Sparks? Are? I'm like yeah. I was like because you told me I would love them. I, I had a feeling they would be um, a you band. And they are. <laughs> They're a Bob Foster band for sure. And, yeah. and in the best possible way. So yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a big talking. Head, and it's, it's weird out. Yeah, I mean, it's and like, it's you know. and it's also I think in a lot of ways it's it's a it's a good example of a documentary that gives information in an engaging way. I I would not go so far as to say it's quite as cinematic as some of my other favorite documentaries, but it does such a good job of of like taking you on every twist and turn of this band's career and making it engaging and interesting as a story. I just, I just really highly. Have you it. seen the other movie they had this year, Annette? I have indeed. Um, it's that would be on my honorable mention list. Oh, I'm going to assume that it's not really on anybody's top Annette. ten here. I haven't seen that. Um, Annette is streaming on Amazon Prime right now for free. Um, it is 
a musical written by Ron and Russ Mayo hmm. uh, that stars Adam Driver and uh, Marianne Cotillard. Adam Driver. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really, it's really, uh, it's a romance that entails uh, two people falling in love, um, one of whom is an opera singer and one of whom I think is a shock jock, I think is Adam Driver's character. And then um, they have a baby which happens to be a Muppet. Uh, and yes, that okay. is very Ron and Russ Mayo. Um, I really enjoyed I it. It's actually, uh, I, it's actually, it would be further down on my list. It's not quite top ten because again, I don't think it connects emotionally like I wanted it to. But it's got all sorts of brilliant ideas, beautiful performances, and some and some really catchy music as you all know, musicals. And should I do have. really like um, Adam Driver. He's no Jason Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Charisma black hole. <laughs> It is where charisma goes to die is in his eyes. Now, Sparks will be here at the show. If, if you're in Seattle, they'll be at the show box on um, on March thirteenth, I think. March eighth. What going. day of the week is that? It's a Monday. And I'm I've been tempted to go, but also I'm seeing really Found Footage Festival the night before, so I don't know if I want to be out to uh, Oh, I'm an old man. Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> I never I. I'll date myself hideously because I'm the grandpa here. My first Sparks record I bought like literally 30 years ago. So um, being able to... Cody wasn't born yet. <laughs> yes, I know. Cody was a freaking zygote for God's sake. True. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing them live. I've never seen them live. And actually, um, back in, I think it was 2012, they came here and it was their first headlining tour here ever. Oh, wow. And I was sad I missed that because I thought I'll never see him again. But then we have the Sparks Brothers and Annette, and uh, they're here coming we are. up again, right? They're having they're so, having a renaissance. Yeah, so good for them. So yes, number eight, Sparks Brothers, great doc. Um, my number eight is the Mitchells versus the Machines. Anyone else? Oh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard uh, it's it. What genre? It's a it's animated. an animated family comedy uh, on Netflix from um, the guys who made Spider Verse, uh, Phil Lord and, oh. and Chris Miller. I think that's their names. Yes, yeah, Lord and Miller. Can't ever forget the right names. But, yes. but it, it was supposed to come out as Connected before the pandemic happened, and then Netflix picked it up, changed the title, um, and put it out. And it has a, it's about a family traveling across the country before the daughter's about to go to college, and she wants to be a filmmaker. Uh, and you know, she's really attached to her phone, and so is so is so is her brother. Um, but the dad, who's more like more hands-on, more to be you know, you know more family time, they decide to make the drive across. And the dad's voice by Danny McBride, the mom's voice by my mm. Rudolph. Um, and, okay, uh, it's, I'm and here for this. It's from I'm the, here for uh, this. And besides Lord and Miller, the the other writer is the guy who made um, can't think his name right now. He also voices one of the characters, um, Mid Gravity Falls, which I watched this past year, which is amazing. <gasps> yeah, my, Alex my Kirch, I think his name is. With it. Uh, it's really smart, really funny, and it has a really strong family dynamic where it's one of those things where, like, the dad and the daughter are both different, mm-hmm. like, very different, but it's not, like, antagonistic. You know, it's, it's antagonistic as that would be of, like, just two different generations, but it also feels really real because they do connect with each other, even if they see things completely different ways. But So they're making this cross-country trip when an AI um, goes Skynet. Um, and starts kidnapping people because that humanity can't happen. So they're like the last, you know, humans, and they're trying to make a way across the, the I think to Colorado or wherever, um, to stop the, you know, to stop the skynetting of everybody. Um, so it's them versus the machines. You know, the title there. Um, so kind of like maximum overdrive. <laughs> in a way, with a little, uh, little less machines calling me less, assholes. Less cocaine. <laughs> maximum less overdrive. Cocaine. A lot less cocaine. A lot less cocaine. I know. I was just saying, I'm like. But yeah, it's got really sharp 
you know, family dynamic humor, also with the situational humor of happening and a lot of weirdness. And it's, it, but it's the animation style is done the same way as Spider Verse. They have a mixture of hand drawn, like, you have like hand drawn over computer, computer uh, animated uh, with the same, like, kind of same thoughts of like, of, of uh, people's emotions popping up in different ways on, on screens. A lot of, it's really clever, really funny. And it was, it was my favorite movie for a, a while uh, until everything else that I saw that came in above it. Uh, but like, yeah, I was raving about it when I saw it. I'm like, this is amazing. Everyone needs to see it. I've heard it's great. Yeah, I've heard so. it's terrific. And given the creative team, it, I'm very intrigued. I, I, yeah. I, it's um, on my list. Yeah, no, I just stuck it on my list. All right, so Cody, handing over to you. Pretty sure it's going to be higher on other people's list. Uh, Spider-Man, No Way Home. All right. <laughs> so we're on to Kim. It's higher on my list. Um, my number seven, uh, The Boy Behind the Door. I never even heard of this. No, <laughs> oh my goodness! So fill us in. I uh, it's streaming on Shutter, and the basic premise of it is these two young boys who are well, playing baseball or something. But uh, they one of them or they end up getting kidnapped, and one of them is taken to the house. The other one is left in the trunk, and the boy in the trunk gets free, but he is determined to help his friend. So what? proceeds as just this this young boy trying desperately to get to his friend to save his friend from from a kidnapper and it is some of the finest child acting i have ever seen Mm. which is for me is saying something uh it it just it's so compelling it's tense it's very believable it's very real but it never feels... Because, <sighs> you know, when, when you're dealing with child actors, it can really quickly take a turn, especially when you get into high emotions. And it all feels very grounded. And there is, since I'm no one else at the table has seen it, I'm not going to give away one of the... I don't even want to call it a twist. But there is something that comes about one of the antagonists that I, I thought was refreshing. Uh... And I kind of don't want to say more since none of you have seen it. Wow. But I I watched it during 100 Days of Horror. It came out sometime over the summer on Shudder. And it left a, a lasting impact with me. I just thought it was it was really well done. And that, that the two child actors and the two boys in it are just really, really strong. Uh, and so, I, I yeah, if you've not seen it, I would recommend I, it. See, see, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I remember you had done a post on this mm-hmm. in 100 Days of Horror. And I've forgotten the title. Because I remember, I remember the content of the post and, and how well done this film was and how good the child actors were, mm-hmm. but I did not, um, I didn't remember the title. So thank you for the refresher, man. The boy behind the door. And that's, that's right. number. That's seven. number seven. Number seven. Yeah. On to Tony's number seven. All right, my number seven, I think, is your number nine, number ten, The Green Knight. Green Knight. All right. Yes. Which so I please, need to see. fill us in, please. Give us your insights on this film, Bob. Uh, yeah, I think so. Green Knight from David Lowry. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think it's. Uh, sorry, I don't go back. I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to suck yet. <laughs> uh, I have, so it's a. It's a. It, it's a uh, I'm completely just blanking on it. What I have to say. All right. So we're looking at a new way to approach the, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, uh, but still taking place in the medieval times. But I love the. Just one. I'll just say how gorgeous, but yet also ugly it looks in, in the same yes. way. It's a very muddy England. So it does, take, it does take place in like 700 whenever Arthur would, would be because it's yeah. based on the Arthurian legend uh, of uh, Dev Patel playing playing Sir Gowan. 
Um, the, and so he uh, it follows the basic story to such a degree that I think a lot of people were lost because if you don't know the story, you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It's, it's very esoteric in the way it does it. That is true. Very surreal uh, with what everything that happens, and you're wondering how much is real, how much isn't. But it also has that same weird fantasiness that Arthurian Arthurian tales have, yeah. uh, where strange things happen, and they're just part of the world. I love um, that. Yeah, between the Green Knight himself being this like being made out of a tree and having this creakiness to the sound, the yes. sound design in this movie is gorgeous. Yeah, the sound um, design is amazing. It's visually incredible. I, you have you make a great point about the contrast between the um, passages of immense pastoral beauty and the kind of dingy ugliness um, that is medieval life. Yeah. I think Al Lowry does a really good job of creating a world where those things exist side by side and it feels pretty organic. Um, I also can't rave enough about Dev Patel, who I think is just he's a astounding. terrific. I will say he's a really talented point. actor, and so. he's he's just he he manages that wonderful balance of being immensely charismatic and totally believable as a hero, but also being enough of a flawed heel and immature goofball. Yeah. The hero to, is very out of his element for what yes, he's trying to do. Exactly, and and for an actor to convey. That, that that gulf between being a hero and what he is in real life, that maintaining that balance as an actor is a very difficult thing. You usually end up toppling like in one direction or the other. And for me, he just straddles that line beautifully. He's, uh, the movie would not work nearly as well without him in the center. That said, I, I just thought I was impressed with the writing. I love the fact that... Lowry embraced long takes and mm -hmm. let you really enjoy this world. There's a real simmering to, exactly. to it. Like I, I was just thinking about like how many. It, it, it's what I like to say. It's a low. It's a slow boil. It's a yeah. yeah slow boil. Mm -hmm. slow simmering the entire movie, which yeah. like made some people like out of it because there isn't a lot of the same connecting points. Uh, yeah. But like of what he goes through to get to the Green Knight, and I don't want to spoil any of the particular things that occur. But they're always they're really off putting, but also for him and for us and strange without being like look how weird this is yeah it's i uh, yeah you really know that somebody is doing a good job as far as a filmmaker goes if you feel like um they've created a world where you know ostensibly unbelievable things are daily routine and that really helps deepen the richness of a fantasy universe and this movie does that really well i just I, I did not, again, this is one that I did not see on a big screen, but I could kick myself for it, and I would love to see it like on a, in a movie theater. Yeah, I got to see just... it on the big screen in like, a very empty theater. Back, back That's when, the best. Yeah, yeah back absolutely. when like, AMZ started first, you know, when, when they reactivated the, the A-list mm -hmm. and, mm. you know, forced vaccinate. Well, I was already vaccinated by that point because it was July. But I think it was the first movie I watched. No, it was the fifth movie I watched for, you know, for 100 days this year. The first was... Uh, old. Uh, Does it, it can is it horror? I put it enough. There's in an, I think can, I, can I put it in the black notebook instead of in this Maybe, notebook? Maybe I I I put it on it for hundred days. I think I think it's I think it's, I think it's, it's this this uh, going disconcerting in the black enough. I would you know what I I also think that it is tangentially at least I would consider it a full horror film. Hmm. Tangentially. Okay. There it's, are it's, elements. It's in to the it. black notebook now. I think. I think it's not you straightforward into it, but I think it bounces enough into the genre enough I, to count. And I, I think you, as someone who appreciates 
my favorite cliche thing as well, which is dark fairy tales. I think you would really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, do, you, do you count Pan's Labyrinth as a horror? Film? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah then okay. absolutely. Then this is. <laughs> well, yeah. And it was on my list. To, I was hoping to get to it before we recorded, and I just I ran out of time. And it's not. It's it was another pay rental where I was mm-hmm. like, I paid to rent a couple. Yeah, and, I don't pay more than like four dollars to rent something. You know? Yeah, I <laughs> that's why I paid the, a blockbuster. I'm paying now. I hit the light. There's at least one thing that I did that with where it was like, okay, it's twenty bucks. It's supposed to be a great movie. No, yeah. not gonna do it. I paid to rent a few. You priced yourself out of my top ten people. Because there was one I actually brought up before we started recording, and it was before you got here, Tony. I'm going to refer him in case it makes your list, but if not, I still want to talk about it just because I have questions. But anyway. But that one's now five dollars to rent. (laughs) And I paid those five dollars to rent it. I thought you you paid the twenty bucks to rent it. No, I paid the five dollars to rent it, and because I was, I thought it might make my top ten, and it didn't. But I have feelings about it, and I need to talk about it. Do an honorable mention or something? No, it's in my honorable mentions, partially because I have so many feelings. Anyway. Yay. All right. All right. That was Green Knights. Uh, so your number seven. My number seven is one of the ones I talked about earlier, where I think has many flaws, but. It made me so happy that I'm ignoring those flaws. Um, was the Ghostbusters Afterlife? Oh wow! Which I've still not seen. Am I, I the only one that's able to see it? Okay. I, I, want to. I will say part of why I haven't seen it, and this is awful. Because ha- 2016. <laughs> I will not see it until I don't have to pay money to see it in theaters because all of the fanboys left mm, such yeah. a bad taste in my mouth about everything with the 2016 one. Yep. I. <laughs> I, 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 I even like looked up movie times multiple points to be like I'm gonna see it and I was like I can't so but like uh, as I want to yeah like but I, I, can't. I am a lifelong Ghostbusters fan yeah. I really love oh, the yeah. 16 one and yeah. that's a whole different conversation yeah. but I will just say one thing I'm mad about for the Ghostbusters fandoms is that a good chunk of people like, yeah, 2016 was fine, or I didn't like it, but I don't care. There's so many people who just will not let it the fuck go. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually tainting the Ghostbuster movies yeah. for me. Like, it's making me feel icky about all of them, and that was part of the problem I had yeah. with going to see this in theaters. But anyway, that's but, a yeah, like that's I, I blame down the executives more than anything, because even like Jason Reitman, who directed this, picking up from his, his dad, uh, said, thank you, Paul Feig, for making your movie. You, know, you opened the door, so you took a lot of the bullets from the fanboys. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, just for exist for having a Ghostbusters movie exist. But yeah, I you know I was born in 82, Ghostbusters came out in 84, and I grew up watching the television show and watching the movies over and over again. And I think I said this on, on our podcast of the movies that influenced us the most. Ghostbusters 2 is the first VHS tape that I was received. Someone handed me and said, this is oh, yours wow. for my birthday. Like, mm, I think it must have been That's so special, too. So, yeah, the series holds a lot to me. And it, I think it reached in and tugged at those heartstrings so much that it made me happy. And it's, it's fan service in a, in a good way. Uh, of course, we'll talk about that later on for Spider-Man as well. Um, but the... Uh, but it reinvented Ghostbusters in a way that brought that wasn't just a copy of, of last time with, with a new skin. Uh, it hit a lot of the same plot points of Ghostbusters 1, um, which a lot of people give it crap for for this, but I think it was just fine. Um, in the same way that Force Awakens kind of like reset things mm-hmm. uh, for Star Wars, but also adds in a lot of like Amblin-esque-ness to it. There's a very Spielbergian quality to it, which I to really appreciate it because we're dealing with younger kids, and I know some people were like, well, it's not about adults anymore, so all the humor is different, but I think it worked just fine. Otherwise, it's one of those things where like if you if you, if you you made it more of adults, people would be like, you're just copying the last, the original, or 2016. Uh, but making it different, people are like, you're making it different, you know, between Last Jedi and Force Awakens as well, you know. Yeah. But 
it made me incredibly giddy when I was watching it of, of when things occurred and how things happened and how they approached it. And I think there's there's some plotting issues of how they spread out some of the information mm-hmm. from the 1984 mm-hmm. movie because it's all it's written both for fans who've grown up loving it. it was also made if you haven't seen the originals where you don't have the reference or man I'm not sure what I saw like I know you and you and Cody only saw the originals recently um, that but it's not so it's not made with like pushing out the the lifelong fans but also letting in but not pushing but not making it only for them and uh, the characters are really identifiable especially for the kids like. Like Phoebe's an amazing character. There's a character who made podcast who I thought would be annoying, but isn't. <laughs> the, um, but I, I think it's a really great re- reboot sequel for the Ghostbusters that builds upon both nostalgia and familiarity to build something new to move on from here. Um, and I'll be honest, like it made me cry both times I watched it oh. uh, so much, uh, and I can't ruin the reasons why. Um, but even the second time through, I'm like, all right, now I've now I've seen it, I can approach it different way actually a lot of the issues i had the first time around with some of that plotting issues some of the the uh the details were smoothed over the second time maybe because i knew they were there so i don't know if it's actually not fixed because it's the same exact movie uh and i also didn't expect to have like the same emotional connection with it but i still did and oh, i thought about it coming that's on so like special. and like even like i'm still emotionally connected with it like when i've thought about it or read read threads or people talking about their reactions and i'll start to tear up again um until a minute and when i i i I don't really pre-order non-boutique movies for the most part, but I did for the for this one. Um, comes out. It came out digitally this week, but it comes out physically on uh, February first uh, with mm. the first two movies with new cuts of the first movie. So so three cuts of Ghostbusters, oh, that's one, two cool. cuts of Ghostbusters, wow. the, the TV cuts, and extended uh, work cut, and that's all sorts really of special cool. features. I'm like, I have to have this in 4K. Um, so <laughs> well, I look forward to watching it again and then crying my eyes out and looking at my wife who's like, okay, that was fine. <laughs> I, you know, and I think that speaks to how much of a difference sometimes it can make to see a movie more than once. Mm-hmm. Because I, I can think of several movies offhand that I saw, the first time I saw them, I'm like, okay, this is okay. But going into them the second time, I think knowing the faults that are going to be there going in makes it easier to accept those. And conversely, all of the things that the film does right shine more. Yeah. So I think, I think that it's interesting to that. hear you talk about this because it's almost like a play-by-play of you going through that. And so. you know, I'll move on from. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I, you know, it, it's funny again. Like I've, I've, I've had really strong feelings about seeing this movie that I hate have been kind of messed up because of of the fanboys. The fanboys. The fan yeah. That's, that's like, not, it's it's not the only franchise where that is a problem. No, by it, it is. By it any is. Justice League, and, Star Wars. Yeah. Hello, it, anything that's embraced by geek culture. That it's, it's, it's gotten so bad that like a movie I, when I first saw the trailer, I was excited to see and got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I can see this in theaters. But after listening to you talk, like I was thinking of going to the movies tomorrow and it's still, I think, playing downtown at Regal. Yeah, I think so. I might go see it because... Dude, I know, man. I, I do want to experience in theaters. I've just had this really kind of icky... Every time I started to get excited about it again, I would read something where I'd be like, oh, fuck so Meg! I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. no, like, it's like <laughs> fuck these fanboys. Yeah. But it's... No, but it's it's really... It's, it's, it's hit me in a way where I'm just like, I... It, it is genuinely tainting my enjoyment of the entire franchise. You know, and I think out at this table we can all agree... Women just shouldn't be Ghostbusters, Kim. It's true. <laughs> also, you know what I haven't gotten to say in a really long time? Yes. yes. Fuck you, Cody! <laughs> yeah! 
Yeah, so we were, we were so all we waiting to all, hear that. We need to kick all the women out of a ghost. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, nobody left but Ross. <laughs> Be Ross and, yeah. Ross and me. And I, don't yeah. even, I don't even have the hair half the time. And fill him in. There's a whole lot of vagina in that yeah. group. <laughs> and then Ryan, who I saw last week at uh, Mystery Science. Uh, oh, two weeks ago, A couple weeks ago. Um, too funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, um, about one, one final thing on Ghostbusters before I move on. Uh, so yeah, the first time I saw it was a really crowded, filled up audience. It was like the the Wednesday preview because I've been doing those occasionally for home movies. Packed house, and there's a kid next to me who was having a goddamn ball. It's like Aww. the best time he's ever had in a movie. And he was like, he was me when I saw Ghostbusters two in 1989 in the theaters. Um, and I was like, man, that kid. If he didn't love movies now, he loves movies now. Um, and the, yeah, and I heard kids special. throughout the rest of the, the, the yeah. movie really reacting so, in a way. So and adults special. too, especially. But the kids were just having a blast. Mm. I saw it again a, a week later. It was a much less crowded, much less crowded theater. So mostly, but mostly families, and the you know everyone's having a good time. The kids really having a like really acting like huge. Um, so if if it awakens like something for the kids in that way, in the same way that you know in the, this one you know Phoebe is you know is the, is the lead. So you have another another uh, I don't say female lead, but you know you have you have, yeah yeah another who connects not a dude. Who not who not a white dude um and that, representation is important that, yeah, in that respect so the yeah. kids connect with that that's, yeah. that's even jason said that you know his his daughter's like i fucking love phoebe yeah <laughs> well, and, and i think it's also it's why i like the original series i i remember watching and like being fine with when i was a kid enjoying enough like i liked the ghosts but not having a female character to kind of lock onto definitely made the franchise not as much fun for me. Um, excuse me, they had their receptionist. Hedge <laughs> and emails is awesome. <laughs> she gets a lot Annie, of I'm excited Annie, that I Annie, get to double down on this, but Annie fuck Pops you, Cody. Is phenomenal. You fetus. <laughs> you are no, a fetus. And she is, but it's but just... She's a, she, but she's playing a girl Friday. she's playing you know, a girl Friday. In a, in a traditional pre, you know, 1980s on... I get, I get, I come back to part of the reason me as a very, very small child gravitated towards slasher films specifically, <laughs> because you know who lived through those things? The, the final fucking girl. final girl! <laughs> anyway. Yes. Okay. All right, so we're on to what? Number, <laughs> number six. six for number Kirk. six. I'm very sure this is going to be higher on other people's list. Uh, Psycho Gorman? It is. Okay. Cool. So we will get to that later. We will get to that shit. Uh, my number six is the censor. Censor. Oh, oh very close on mine. How very seen close. It. I. It it's hits, honorable mention for me. Yeah, it it hit me, and I just watched it the other day, and I don't know if it was like I have a weird attachment to the whole like video nasties time period. It's um, fascinating. It's, it's like, it, it is. It's it is so fascinating. It's the, it's the McCarthy era transposed to the Reagan era or the Thatcher era. To the Thatcher era. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. And I, I think a little bit of it is when when I was doing my horror film discussion group, um, I brought it up with one of the classes, and and it was trying to explain to a group of teenagers in the year twenty twenty one the idea of video nasties. And the idea of the censorship of it to a group of American 2021 See, that's the teenagers. Thing. That's the key. American kids are not going to want. Yeah, and just this complete disconnect to this well, idea. Why did you just change your VPN? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've and I and I've always kind of had a fascination with it because I I was also a child born in the 80s, but uh, I loved 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 loved. Uh, 
And and again, for for those of you at home who have not seen the film, um, it's about a woman who works as a, a censor for video nasties and watches these films in Britain. And like 84 something like that. 84, yeah. 85, yeah. And she, um, her sister disappeared when she was younger. And she watches a film that triggers in her the memory of when her sister disappeared. And she becomes obsessed with this young actress she sees who she is convinced is her sister. And her parents recently had her sister declared dead. And she has not come to terms with that. She's not coping with it well. And, and she really becomes obsessed with this idea that this filmmaker has her sister hostage and is forcing her to make these horrible horror films. And... It just clicked with me. I don't know if it was... I, I, I was fascinated by her. I loved how part of the formatting was watching these, like, 80s-style horror films that they created for the yeah, film. Yeah, the, the director yeah. does such oh. a good job. I, I always, I'm a sucker for a movie that does a, a, a movie within a movie really well. Really and this well. One does. And one that picks up a style yeah. without... It just like, Without being it. obvious of, like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very unsolved, very NBD in regards to this. You not overly do it because you see like bad eighties or like look the eighties just threw up in this kid's bedroom rather yeah. than an actual eighties. Yeah. Know. If, yeah. If I didn't know because it was part of the film, I would not have been shocked that they had pulled a film I, I to just thought use. They did sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, but that's how that's how well done it was. Yeah, and that's crucial for the effectiveness of the movie. I, I got to be honest. I think if I saw this on a big screen, if I hadn't have seen this on my laptop, because I actually saw this during the uh, Seattle Internet. Yeah, that's when I watched Festival. it too. I watched it on my laptop. So I saw it on my laptop. With my baby next to me and my yeah. family around. If, yeah. I, <laughs> if I, now I tried to replicate the theater experience best as I could by turning off the lights and just sure. putting all yeah. my attention on it, which was great. Right. But if I'd have seen this on a big screen, it would probably be on my top ten, because I think it's so well done on so many levels, and that whole era... Prano oh. Bailey, Bailey Bond is the name of the writer-director. Mm-hmm. She's phenomenal. What? She really nails it. And that's part of it. Like, you know, I have a, I in my heart for, for any women who are, are creating art like this. Yeah. But I just I just watched it um, when we were originally going to record like a week ago. Mm-hmm. I had watched it a couple days prior. And I watched it, you know, here. And I turned off all the lights to do a whole experience. And it just hit me and I like reoriented my entire list at that point because I was like this needs to go on my list I yeah. loved this um so it's it's again it's streaming on Shutter currently so it's it's very accessible if you were a Shutter person yeah, Vinegar Syndrome has put out an addition yeah Vinegar it. Syndrome mm, has yes, a 4k yes. of it out oh, I think and I'm I yeah I'm like that. I'm like okay I just got paid I think I'll uh I didn't just get that. paid and I still might like maybe <laughs> not eat next week so I can get that <laughs> Uh, it, it really, it really, really hit me. So I, I, it's uh, so good. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I fully applaud that. So that sensor and that was, was number, number six. Six, six on your list. Yes. Okie doke. All right. So let me go ahead and consult my list on the sixth one here. Um, this is a movie that got a lot of critical applause and praise. And I feel like I know what movie you're. Yeah, talk I'll about. bet you do because we've talked about it before. I know what movie um, you're talking about. I was, next. I, and and it is again another movie that has that there's a very big gulf that might be perceived as a flaw um, to many, but it really worked for me. And that is Jane Campion's mm-hmm. Power yep. of the Dog. The Power of the Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically. I, I, one of the things that's interesting about it is that you, it really does not skew hard to genre. No. Um, yeah. uh, on a, and 
I think that, for me at least, is one of the things that works for it. It's a very languidly paced film that is set in the Old West of the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was and 19... Wasn't it? Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Or was it I think it was a little later 1900s. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean... It was like it, 1920 or something, but I yeah, might be wrong. It's, it's uh, anyway, way before any of us were born. Amazingly <laughs> enough, even way before I was born. Um, but I, this worked really well for me. Um, it is, I, I think, going into it, one of the things that you need to realize is that it is a very leisurely paced film. Yes, that is that is being generous. <laughs> yes, it is. And I mean, I'm oh, yeah, not... yeah, 1925 Montana. Yeah, I mean, I, I will not even mince words with that. It is yeah. very leisurely paced. It's not the kind of movie that's going to pack a house and have them popping popcorn and screaming, at, you know, shouting at the screen in joy. And it's subtle across the board. I it mean, is. It, it's never one that's it like is. screaming its and, intent. And it's one of those movies where I really, it's like, if you can deal with a very slow burn movie, it has what I think for me was maybe the most satisfying payoff of a film overall that I saw um, in 2021. Yeah. And it's, Again, how how much the journey getting there is you know your mileage on the journey getting there varies, and I know that you had some that that was an issue for you when you saw it. It, it was. I I thought the acting across the board was hands down spectacular, phenomenal. Um, I I take no faults with. I mean, visually, the cinematography was yeah, again, gorgeous. Another movie that just screams to be on a big screen. Just gorgeous um, location photography. And Campion has always had this wonderful knack for using um, lighting and space yeah. in the compositions yes. of her shots to help convey emotion. There's a lot of that in this. The the payoff, man. Those, those last couple minutes of the oh, film. Good holy God. Yeah. yeah, at that point, I was just like, wait... Wait, wait. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the key thing. I mean, again, it is a big gulf for a lot of people to watch a you know two and a half hour plus movie and follow it, or almost two and a half hours. Almost two and a half hours. Yeah. It's a long movie. And follow it all the way to the end. But my God, the- for me, that that ending. And what's funny is is. And again, it's very hard to talk about this without conveying spoilers. No. Yeah, because you, you yeah. and you it's really shouldn't because you you exactly. need to go you need to go into especially the last few beats of it fresh. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I thought was so brilliant is that and I mean again, even people who don't love the movie can appreciate the fact that Campion lays out clues oh, yeah. as to the yeah. very end all the way through in such a subtle way that you almost don't get it until the very end. And then at the very end, there's this sense of completion that comes with um, shifting back and forth in time and, uh, you know, kind of revealing the denouement uh, in almost a Cliff's Notes fashion as you're getting to that very, very final punch. But it's so good. I, For me, at least, I just, I loved it. And the performances, stem to stern, brilliant. I really want to give a shout out to Cody uh, oh McPhee. Cody is, Smith McPhee. He is so I, good. That that kid has been, I've consistently... I've yeah. considered. I was about to say, what, what am I getting a shout out for? <laughs> My second favorite Cody, Cody Smith McPhee. Um, I will say, like, I wanted to. My problem was, and again, this is one where I recognize, like, with some of the, mo- the movies on my list, I'm like, this is a better, this is a better movie than yeah. some of the movies on my list. But I had trouble 
connecting to it. I the performances were amazing. The cinematography was beautiful. I actually went back and rewatched the beginning after seeing the ending because I yeah. wanted to. There were some things I wanted to examine, yeah. um, but I was just left overall very cold by it. And so I was, and I think that was part of what my frustration with the movie was that. I really wanted to connect with it because so much of it was right, but I just couldn't connect to it. Yeah. And so there we are. And it's and it's interesting. And that just goes out to the wonderful subjectivity involved in choosing your top ten. Absolutely. Which is that we can both see the same flaws in the film, and mm. it's strictly a matter of how your mileage varies when approaching those flaws. And for me, I was... And also, I think this might actually be another situation where we're talking about... Um, kind of how you connect with something in terms of gender. And, think, oh, absolutely. I, and I think because, absolutely. because at the center of the movie, and this is not a spoiler, no. uh, at the center of the movie is kind of how the rela- how the relationship between um, Cody Smith's McPhee's mm-hmm. character, who's basically a young gangly kid, and Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who is this um, total alpha male. Um, toxic masculinity. Yeah. It's finest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely toxic masculinity, but still somehow very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the relationship between these two characters. And um, having been an awkward kid who had varying, you know, role models to varying efficacy and, you know, goodness basically in his life, I found the relationship between the two of them, the dynamics between the two of them to be very interesting. And I think that also feeds into that denouement. It feeds Mm -hmm. so nicely Mm -hmm. into how the movie ends. I just thought it was super satisfying. Articulating further as to how satisfying it is really kind of spoils it. So... Um, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, exactly. So I, so again, uh, it is my choice at it's number six, right? Um, number six. Yeah. Uh, yes, number six on a list. Power of the dog. If you can deal with something that is slow burn. Also, animal cruelty. I will say. Oh yeah, there's uh, a little there, bit there's of that. a lot, and I mean that it was one where I really had to watch and be like, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real. The yeah. horse isn't really being hit, Kim. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it does. Campion, well, that's another thing about Jane Campion. She yeah. does her research, and so it she feels yeah. super authentic. But anyway, mm-hmm. Power of the Dog, thumbs up. If you can deal with something that's slow and takes a time, its time getting to its destination, um, it's well worth watching. All right, so number six for me is A Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, oh. Is this on anyone else's? It, it wasn't, but it was, it was an honorable mention. Um, I didn't see it. Oh, I, I, I haven't either. I, I I very much enjoyed it, but I I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the first one. But I very much enjoyed it. Um, but I'll let you talk to it because yeah, sorry, sell us sorry. sell us Bob Foster. Yeah, no, yeah, I think it works just uh, almost just as well as the original, which is I think was one of the best movies of its year. At, mm-hmm. You know, Kim, uh, my wife Allison, Kim, and I all went to see a preview screening of it, and just like we're so in you know enmeshed that and I bet this is the first movie I saw in uh, in theaters after after COVID mm. uh, well COVID's still going on but uh-huh. you get my point uh-huh. um, on uh, mid-July uh, so it was like really nice to be back in there it's something I think is you know as strong as the original building on the things that worked uh-huh. uh, and uh-huh. taking away all the things that, that didn't um, with strong character use of like every character has their action that's not that's not feeling forced. I think it subverts a lot of the things that you would expect from a sequel or from the, from particular characters you meet along the way. We meet a whole set of new characters after the last film. They they left their you know their their safe place. The world now, gets bigger. The world yeah they extend the world and we meet, uh, Killian Murphy and 
Lance Reddick? No. Oh, um... And other, uh, it's been a while since I saw it, so yeah, I no, I was gonna say it's I, been a while since I've revisited this movie. Um, but it's uh, but I, every time we meet a new character, get a new setup, you think you know how things are gonna go, and actually subverts them and goes a different way without being like obvious. In the same way we talked about earlier about individual of, uh, oh, we're playing on what we expect, um, but it does it in such an interesting manner that you don't that you're like, okay, I. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out because is this going to follow what I'm expecting or is it going to go somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, and this, and as in the first film, it uses the silence um, of the characters and of the the creatures in its way. Uh, whether we're following the deaf girl, we're talking about yeah, Millicent Simmons. Uh, Millicent Simmons. Uh, I was going to mention this earlier. I'm talking about you know deaf characters, but I didn't yeah. want to show my hand if this coming up later on. But I'm mentioning the quiet place too, uh, or a quiet place too. The uh, but it yeah increases the world without. Overdoing it without mm-hmm. falling into the traps that would come big. and expand it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the sequences and the setups for the scare sequences, the action beats, uh, and the new characters are also both subverting but also falling through in many ways. Uh, so Krasinski, mm-hmm. now John Krasinski wrote and directed this one. Mm-hmm. At that time, he did a final draft and directed the first film, and this one he was the sole writer and director, I believe. Um, Can and- you not be impossibly handsome <laughs> and a brilliant filmmaker? <laughs> it's like God. Damn it! So the way, yeah, the way he sets it up and plays it, he's, he's well aware of of how to do it. Like I thought, the first film actually took a lot of notes from Jurassic Park, um, mm. and I think that this one, this one, he follows through with like Spielberg setups and the way that mm-hmm. he moves through sequences and showing us just what we need to see, without being you know purposely hiding things in darkness or overshowing things and um, I'm trying to be vague because I don't want to spoil any the, particular moments. The comparison to Spielberg is really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before, but you're right. In terms of how there's setups and the structure, it's it's very, very similar. Yeah, if you take a lot of the, especially for the first film with Jurassic Park and like yeah. the, 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 raptor, the raptors in the in, in the kitchen, uh-huh. I think was uh-huh. replicated almost directly in one yeah. sequence without ever feeling like that's just the Raptors in the kitchen. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it, it hadn't occurred to me, but you saying this, I'm, I'm thinking through it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Because I just watched, rewatched A Quiet Place with my folks. They'd never seen it, and I let them watch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, very much so. The, some of those scenes with the bathtub and the, and the basement, and yeah. You and gotta I do think, there is you gotta go, you gotta go with, like, the sun chips bag that's really, really loud. <laughs> and just, like, fish around. Oh, like, the really foil yeah, cricket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I think it does well of creating tension from two different ways, of both yeah. what the characters are aware of and what the characters are unaware of. Because mm-hmm. you can do that both ways for, for, for creating the tension. It's like, because they're about, like, you know, Spielberg talked about, not Spielberg, uh, Hitchcock talked about suspense. It's like, we know there's a bomb underneath the table, but the characters don't. So that gives us suspense. But in this case, you know, the characters are aware there's a bomb on the table, but they're aware there's another bomb outside. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So they're trying to disarm this one while something else is about to happen. So you have that. Both they have something to fight for, and you're also rooting because you know something else bigger is around the corner. And I think it does a really good job of, of balancing both that. And Wilson Simmons is amazing. And Lee Bunch is great. So uh, the other, the other, the boy's fine. Oh, um, Noah, Noah, you, yeah, yeah, he's he's solid. No, I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think there was a few things that I thought were a little a little bit flawed, particularly, and again, I I. This is what I don't actually really want to spoil, but later on we meet some characters, and the way a few characters are treated, I was like, oh, that was a poor choice. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know who I'm talking yeah. about. That was a poor choice. Um, and the fact that Quiet Place 3 is coming out next year, or in... 
So it does not resolve any. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a franchise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we officially have a franchise. The franchise has landed. There's, there's a little bit later on, I'm like, I don't think you're going to resolve all this. And then, like, the day after the movie came out, I'm like, it's like, Quiet Place 3 coming yeah. out in March no. 2023. Which, I'm like, okay. I mean, I get it. You're, you're making money, so you want to keep making money. And, and so from a business standpoint, that makes complete sense. But, I mean, um, yeah, things do get wrapped up in many ways. In other ways, like, this is obviously setting up part three. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, again, the world has gotten yeah. bigger. Cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet myself, so I'm intrigued to see it. Same. Mm-hmm. We're on to number five. Number five, is Cody. Um, this one I actually saw about a year ago. It was one of the first HBO Max exclusives. Uh, while well, I still have that, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm. That was oh. one I haven't seen. That, that was like number like, oh, 13. Yeah, so that is like yeah. so on my list. Hey, I close. think that was one that was like 1999 <laughs> for, for streaming. And I was like... I'm not going to spend yeah, that 20 number, bucks. That landed number 19 for me. So I could find good close. movies at a cheaper price. I but that's cool. I'm, I really thought it was a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely depressing. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you, know, you, you know what happened to most civil rights leaders or... Yeah. And the FBI had its way. Jesse Plemons plays a wonderful shit heel. Man, yeah. he's that having guy, a good year. Absolutely. He is having a good... Because he was in Antlers. He's in... Into uh, the Power of the Dog. Of the and dog, he's so and good in that movie. He like He's married to Kirsten Dunst, so he's already been having a good year for that. But there you like, go. Yeah, no. He was dude. Just, ugh, just, just a ball <laughs> shithead FBI guy. Um, I'm not... I don't... I can't really say his name, but the guy from Get Out is the lead. Daniel Kaluuya. Yes. Kaluuya. That is. guy, okay, I was like, because you don't like him or because, oh no, okay. No, I can't say his name. Fair, I'm blanking fair, fair. on the title of the caper film, the female-led caper film that um, he's in. Yeah, Widows, yeah. thank you. His ah, performance yeah. in that movie, Jesus Christ, that. that was one of the best bad guy turns <laughs> I have ever seen in a movie. Easily the best that I had seen in the last five years prior. I just, he's just, he's like, yeah. I, he's that's one of the reasons why I was like, oh my god, god I have to see Stan- this. Mm-hmm. You know? So Luke Stanfield's in this too, and he was also in Get Out. Yeah. So, so oh like, god, that's right. Oh, and he plays just that, that, ugh, another, you know, little worm. He is the Judas. Yeah, he is great. Uh, he's great. Daniel Clue is great, and so is, so is it was It was a great movie. It really nailed the, um, the feel of the era. Um... Really great performances all around. It's beautifully shot. Um, it is it is a tragedy. It is a... I'm just going to stand up and stretch real quick. It is definitely a... a, a, it's, a it's a it's a true-to-life tragedy. And it underlays the efforts of the American government in the 60s to stamp out the, the civil rights movement to the best of their ability. By trying to make the Black Panthers up to be terrorists and... Which you know, luckily you know the 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 general culture con culture consciousness is is turning to be where like oh wait they were just lying to us. So I remember hearing about Black Panther Party when I was a kid. And yeah. Of course, yeah. Then we see other things, but um. Uh, but I think actually it's funny enough that I watched this like almost back to back with the trial of the Chicago Seven, oh, which happens oh, at the same time and, yeah. and features some of the same events uh-huh. and done like a different manner, like in how one affects the other, like. Yeah, uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I didn't even like make that connection until I was watching it. Of course, you know, Bobby Hampton, and I was like, but it's like, oh wait, it's like oh, what, I finished that, and then like the next day I watched Judas and Matt Messiah, and I'm like, oh, interesting, watching both these back to back, you know, essentially. Cool, on to Kim. Uh, and this may or may not be on Tony's list, um, mm-hmm. 
My number five is The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. It's a little bit higher on Tony. A little higher on Tony. Right, so, so we'll put a pause on that. We'll put a pause on that. We saw it together, so. Yes. <laughs> we both have thoughts. We both have thoughts. So that leads, uh, the next number five would be mine, uh-huh. which I have a feeling is a movie that's not on any of your lists Ooh. just because it's an indie, a hyper indie movie. Okay. Um, it's also a, it's also the sophomore effort by, I think, one of the best filmmakers coming out of the Pacific Northwest, and this is a woman named S.J. Chiro. The movie is called East of the Mountains, Um, and uh, it is basically, it's kind of almost like your classic quiet indie drama, and it is about a uh, retired surgeon who is basically going off to reflect and to possibly let himself gracefully die because he's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, which sounds like the ultimate in Bummer Central, but it is a really honest and funny and powerfully moving piece of work. And this will be of interest to all of you who are character actor fans. Um, it, it is a wonderful leading star turn by Tom Skerritt. Um, okay. Who is always has always been like a sturdy presence. He Looking is. Love yeah. him. Thank you. He is criminally. I mean, all and he's overall. a Pacific Northwest. Yeah. He, yes. he, yeah. he is a uh, local. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He Met him is, a years ago at a film His school, niece so is a is a, a theater yeah. staple. Yeah, and yeah. he's and he's been super active in like the local cinema scene. And this is uh, which I'm assuming is how he and, and Chiro ended up um, getting in contact. But I really, I, he's one of those guys who's kind of like the old reliable. He always puts in good work, but it's easy to over look him because he just does it you know he just does what he needs to do this really is a career high for him um he gets to play like such an incredibly complex range of emotions that uh, he really as a sturdy character actor guy hasn't always had that luxury hasn't always had that option he really gets a chance to shine in this and he also he's one of those people it that it's really enchanting to watch him think hmm. and I think you I, I you know which is something that I really appreciate in a lot of um, uh, a lot of my favorite actors and Scarrett is he's so good in this I really my friend Chris Burlingame uh, also put this on his top 10 list um, for the website I write for the Sunbreak and he said that if I were in charge of uh, handing out little golden statues uh, I'd be giving one to Tom Skerritt, and I really, I really, really feel like it's worthy of it. And the movie is just so satisfying on so many levels, and it's also another movie that actually, again, uh, Chiro is a very Pacific Northwest-centric um, filmmaker, and there's a lot of beautiful location footage in mm-hmm. rural Washington in this movie. And it's just, uh, it just it's a small movie but it deals with very large emotions and universal truths, hmm. and it is terrific. So, yeah, East of the Mountains, that is my number five. Um, Chiro's first movie is a movie called Lane 1974. I saw that. Yeah, which is also terrific. It's a period drama about a young girl dealing with puberty in the early 70s um, and uh, basically trucking across the coast with her unbalanced hippie mom. Uh, but it's so subtle, you don't really think unbalanced hippie mom <laughs> watching it. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, East of the Mountains, number five on my list. Yeah, I saw Tom Lane, uh, yeah. I saw Lane 74 and um, at SIF, 
uh, during the festival, and I was sitting right behind the girls who star in it, and they're kind of talking oh, about no scenes way. and stuff. So like, it was like, one, was, oh, cool, the people from the movie are right in front of me, but also, they were, they're teenage girls who are talking about <laughs> making the movie, and they were just whispering to each other, That's taking so photos real quick during the movie, but when they were when they were on it, or scenes they liked, like, oh, this scene's great, this scene's great. It's like, it's like uh, both annoyed and also really interested in what they're doing. <laughs> I also love, this is now the second time I'm going to bring up Picket Fences during this podcast, but Tom Skerritt was one of the stars of Picket Fences. Yeah. When I was a kid, so, because I grew up in a time when TV watching was a different experience. It was, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s, and like Bob, um, I watched what my folks watched. So they liked Picket Fences. My brother and I watched Picket Fences, even though we were probably maybe a little too young. But <laughs> he even then, I was like, this dude's good. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just glad he survived his encounter with the alien. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it was and what's funny is the first time I saw Alien, you know what I said? It's the dude from Pinnacles! <laughs> <laughs> because that it was my first frame of reference for him. Again, I was a but kid. When you say the alien you mean Tom Cruise and he was in Top Gun, right? Oh absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> He's an alien. Absolutely. <laughs> <Maverick>. <laughs> That's All why right. they're coming out. So what's here? your number yeah. five, Bob? My number five is kind of a cheat. Because it's a television show, but mm. it's a well, it's a limited series. I know. I count limited series. So you're series. gonna say <laughs> I know it made my honorable mention because I didn't count TV series. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I count things that are that intended to be wrapped up Me and too. never come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. this is Midnight Mass. Mm. Way yes. higher on my okay. list. <laughs> so Ooh. Oh. Okay. So I'm excited to talk about there. it, even though yeah. It was the same for me. I was very purist with my list. It was yeah. like feature films only. Mm-hmm. If if I had been as open-minded as to broaden my criteria for my ten best, this would have been up there. No, absolutely. And so we'll, we'll I had a couple. We'll a I have a couple TV on my. So on please, my, uh, yes, let's let's so put a pause. One to four, Candyman. Woo! Honorable mention. Okay, I was like, can we finally talk about it? Yeah, I'd very say high on it. It was number mention. like yeah, it was number thirteen for me, so it was okay. so close to cracking the top ten. Like twelve for me. Yeah, it was really good. I, I mean, loved it. I thought oh, it did. God, a yes. good, it definitely had Halloween twenty eighteen vibes, mm-hmm. where it pulled from the past, but I thought it didn't rely on the first movie too much. Mm-hmm. I liked that um, it didn't have enough Tony Todd. I didn't like that. That was bad. I, I would say he might be a distraction if he was there. No, I, it's funny because yeah. I had the initial gut reaction of, like, I I am a hardcore... Like, Candyman, the original Candyman was one of my favorite horror films. It's a freaking masterpiece. Like, it, like period. I, and it was, it was so formative for me because I, I saw it at a very young age. I remember my brother, we were at a, a family friend's house. They had a satellite dish. Like, one of those honest-to-God, humongous, the size of this room, satellite dishes. And my parents would be talking with our family friends downstairs. My brother and I would just watch all the things we shouldn't watch on their satellite dish. And, and it had just come out. This was when H... This was the early 90s, whenever it just came out. And 92 is the movie. Yeah, so it was probably like 93. Yeah. So I was far too young to watch this movie. My brother picked it out. We watched it. It <laughs> fucked me up. But it left such an impression even then. And 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 I associate Candyman Candyman and Tony Todd are just and so I my gut reaction was the same as yours. That I 
And this is this is one where I'm like, if we're talking about this, we are in spoiler territory. Yeah, we're, oh, yeah we have yeah, to. And we are I think full and, on in Anyone who listens to can, us has seen Candyman. Yeah, and no, exactly. This isn't like it's Spider-Man where it's new. This has been yeah. out. You can yeah. stream it. You can do this. And, yeah. and it's like, you can tell that there were cuts to this movie. You can tell yes. that there is Especially the more... jump from Act 2 to Act 3. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There's yes. something missing. I it's actually just, wanted it to be longer than there was. Oh, I know. It's one of those rare horror movies where you really do want it to be longer. Yeah, Because it does what it does so well. It, there was supposed to be like a whole like Helen Lyle plot. Yeah. She's in the trailer. She's in the trailer, yeah. And it's like, there were supposed to be, I feel like there were supposed to be things that, and that's what keeps it from being, you know, my top three. No, is, that's kind of where it stayed with me. That, that jump. Um, like, however. Uh, like the, the, uh, God, what's, the, Main character's girlfriend. I can't. I, I feel bad putting her, mm. listing her as girlfriend. Yeah, uh, I but she. Uh, I can't remember her name. I'm awful with names. Um, well, I'm giving her names. This was a while ago when we yeah, saw this. Yeah. yeah. Who played Monica in um, in One Division, which is really yeah. Cool. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Well, then, uh, it's Don, funny because yeah, Paris is the last name. Um, but yeah, but I think her like her dad. The backstory with him was like so underdone. Like I, I yeah. there was more that was cut, yeah. but they needed to keep it to like ninety two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it, it was really that was definitely like the dark part of it. Um, but I really thought that it was so well shot. It's one of those kill scenes. Mm. Mm. I swear, mm-hmm. Nia DaCosta and I, I'm blanking on the cinematographer's name. Between the two of them, the visual acuity on this movie is amazing. That it's one where so, they're and on a theater screen, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to screen. see it on a theater screen. No, again. that was that was theater screen again. Brave the plague infested yeah. masses, yeah. but that for caveat aside, oh my god, which <laughs> yeah. we did actually, yeah. yes. Yeah. And my yeah, mom was see. even uh, like we went and saw it with my mom after I saw I saw it with Bob too, mm-hmm. um, and then but she really liked. Uh, and she's more of a, you know, like, oh, I like the story and everything, but she really liked that that shot where they're in that apartment, mm. and it pulls away, and you just see the lady getting mm-hmm. dragged off. Yeah. Yeah, there, and there other are other mirror use yeah. uh, is done, too. and not in such like, oh, look, I'm being clever way. It was done in a very look, fitting way. Correct me if I'm wrong, too. This was Nita Costa's first horror film. But she's done other films like Little Woods. And no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But, but her first her genre film. Her first yeah, genre yes. film, and I think that's what stood out to me. I felt that. Mm-hmm. I could tell that this was her first time playing with this genre. And I, and actually, for for me, I, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think the movie feels so fresh mm-hmm. and is so effective is that um, this is someone who's never worked with the genre before but is using it as a really uh, as a as a as a springboard towards a, a lot of great ideas but I also think it is why some of the moments that Cody and I specifically are talking to that didn't feel as fully formed it is because she has not played in this genre before and so not knowing some of the things that the people who are going to see this want slash need. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see the idea of the Candyman being a, like, hive of difference. Yeah. And this is... Quite a hive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's... Is that a... Is that <laughs> did you mean of, to, I don't know did if you that's mean a spoiler that? or not. <laughs> okay. Because it's is- almost... I suppose that's sort of a spoiler. We're, we're in spoiler territory. We, yeah, we're we, way, we way past yeah. spoiler territory. But it's yeah. like the idea of them being like a 
this like one consciousness yeah. of, of injustice repeated, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's like a cycle, and like it, it's it's that I found very interesting. Yeah, yeah. that was a well, great yeah. way to update that if we're what's happening currently, and like mm-hmm. it really sucked that it was the later year after everything happened. He's like. But then I think actually made a game more power after the George uh, Floyd protests and I, and I think I gave it yeah that gave it an extra level of oomph when we when we did yeah. see it and yeah. I and I also think one of the things that I really um, that really I love about the movie is that it feels like the inclusivity in it is very NBD. Yeah. There's a gay couple in there who are just funny oh and warm and, and, and yeah they live they there because they, exactly, you know. they know better. Thank you, you know, and also one of them's one of them is, is black, you mm-hmm. know. So of course, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's the it's his um, girlfriend, wife, girlfriend, girlfriend, yeah, girlfriend. I think yeah. it's it's her brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and it just so it handles that very elegantly. And also, I think it's one of those movies that really, again, we're talking about straddling a line. It's a movie that really very cogently and clearly um, makes statements about race and about this country. And its perception of race, um, it makes those assertively, but without feeling overbearing, without feeling preachy. Unless and you I, listen to them on the internet, good. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. But so. every horror group that on like Facebook I was in had to like stop conversations and close oh, comments. God, it was because because people were like it's woke Candyman. It's like, did you not watch I, the other? One? I know. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing. And that's people like thing. there needs to be more slashing. It's like, all right, you can watch Candyman three, yeah. but not the first Candyman. No. That's like three yeah. dead people. And then it, it doesn't even beat you over the head with it like they say it does. Exactly. They yeah. say it's like, oh yeah, it's starting to finish Black Lives Matter propaganda, it's like, no, it's actually really subtly done. Yeah. Well, and, and it starts out... the true story of what happened in, in Karina yeah. Green. Yeah. Uh, Karina Green tried to fix itself, then it started to in, in a little bit, and then the rich people were like, well, we don't want it so near to us, so they tore it down mm-hmm. and built rich white people places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's and that's the whole crux of the first movie, for God's sake. Yeah. The whole first movie yeah. is so yeah. predicated on... The um, disparity, the the disparity between the surrounding buildings and neighborhoods in Cabrini Green. I mean, yeah, and, so and Helen much. being like, "Oh, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a white savior person coming in yep. and tell yeah. me about it's like you're in danger." She's like, "Oh no, I'm fine. I'm white." Yeah, and I definitely feel like they were trying to. Um, say something about. That where she was basically kind of like appropriated their legend uh-huh. by yeah yeah and it's like I I thought that that's right there in the first and she has Africans of all over her apartment she's already yeah. appropriating culture mm-hmm. yeah it's like she, she she appropriated like you know which I thought was a very interesting uh, thing and that's why I kind of wish she'd been more of the movie if mm-hmm. she'd been. But she might also have been in distractions. I think we had more time to talk. They might lean more. Because you don't have to see the first one to understand this. She was in there. They explained that. And I love the way they explained the backstory with with the puppets. Yeah. And then oh, that in the that credits, that was, the credits. Yes. and oh I got so God. the most times I saw it, I got so mad when people just got up and left during the credits. Like no, the no. movie's not done yet. Oh, <laughs> God, and no. I mean, the, the trailer with the, Thank the, you. the that was yes. one of the most stunning trailers. I put it. I put it as the most stunning trailer yeah. I saw I all year. I would just yes. send that to people, being like, "You don't need to watch the movie. You don't need to like horror, but you should watch this because." Yeah. 
it is moving and beautiful and and yeah. it very elegantly dovetails into the concepts and themes and statements that the movie is making yeah, and all uh -huh. visually uh -huh. and having that so yeah, and having it as the end credits i think really helps bring home what it was saying if, you, if somehow you missed the point in the movie like cody i talked a couple, couple of years ago talk about black klansman where people like when they showed charlottesville afterwards and people were like what? Dude, like, that's the point of this so goddamn mad. movie. <laughs> you know, it's like if if you're not watching the credits and seeing seeing this, you're missing the entire everything at why this movie that exists. That old white couple in front of me, and they're just like, "Well, it was great until they decided to drag the president through the mud." <laughs> oh, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you just watched? Oh damn! Somebody decided to drag that shit caked orange orangutan through the mud. Darn. Oh, oh sorry. God. Oops. I, you know, now I'm like, as we talk about it more, I'm like, wow, why did I not put this on my top ten? Yeah, I was, it was Great so close. It's one of the ones that kept choice. popping in and popping out. Yeah, me too. If we didn't include, too. if it didn't have, like, TV or one of my honorable mentions on the say now was the, um, was the amusement park. And that's, like, number 11. Like, Ooh. does like that count for 1973 or does that count this year? Yeah. If you, if you don't count it for this year and you don't count WandaVision, which is also in that, that era... Uh, this would be number ten. Yeah, you know, or don't come midnight mass. Yeah. You know, so if if, if we strict picture films from this year, this would have been my number ten. <laughs> so it's very close. So Candyman. Yes. Your choice mm -hmm. for number number four. four. Your number four, my number eight. Yes. Um, unfairly positive. My number four is higher up people's lists. Last night in Soho. Yep. Yes. Yep. Big I big. still haven't fucking seen it. Daddy. As a ardent fan of Italian genre cinema. I mean, that's not all that the movie is, but as an ardent fan of Italian genre cinema, you have to see it. And dude, brave the plague-infested masses to see it in a theater. And that's it's all I'm going to say, except <laughs> that and it's a little higher up my list. I, I figured that one was... That's also my number four, so uh, <laughs> so it's the same place for me and you. Okay. But uh, what's your number four? Tony. Oh, God, where to me already? Um, yeah, for passing up to the hotel later. Yes, because yes. um, That's first. right. Um, my number four, I have a feeling it's probably not on anyone else's list, but I thought it was absolutely amazing. It was a movie called The Card Counter. Hmm. Um, I've the, heard of that. Yeah, I've The Card it. Counter. I've seen the trailer. Yeah, it was, it's directed by Paul Schrader, who is a longtime veteran of... Uh, he's actually kind of part of that 70s... Um, at the time, at least, new guard of uh, filmmakers that were in the same era as, uh, like, uh, Steven Spielberg and well, he wrote Scorsese. Yeah, he wrote Taxi Driver. Um, mm. This movie is an excellent uh, kind of neo-noir um, uh, about a guy kind of... Uh, it basically is set in Las Vegas, and it's a, about a guy who has uh, several interactions with a young man who is learning the trade of card counting and learning the trade of gambling and learning the trade of, to some extent, at least, grifting. And um, it's just, um, Schrader's been around for 50 years. He's been doing movies for 50 years. Um, this is just, it's a very straightforward story. It feels very 70s in mm -hmm. the sense that it is super character-driven. It's an angry young, uh, lonely yeah. young man. But well, takes, we do have an angry young man too. It yeah. takes its time getting to where it needs to get to. It's actually very subtle. It also has what I think is maybe for me the best performance I've ever seen Oscar Isaac give. My boyfriend. Mm. Um, I'm a straight guy, but he's my boyfriend. <laughs> he's I I just I love him anyway, and I think this is one of the best performances he's ever given. 
I'm a sucker for anybody who can convey a kind of classic sort of film noir um, protagonist um, and not feel like they're aping something from the 40s or 50s. He just he just really captures that spirit well. And so much of his performance is not speaking. Yes, exactly. Yeah, There's you can a see lot, a lot of everything you, on his face. Exactly. And because he is a card counter, a lot of that is a poker face. And he is... And so when you see faint modulations in in the reactions on his face when certain things happen, it's like, it's priceless. Those are the kinds of things. Back in the 70s, when they made movies like this, you could see movies like this, and you could see performances like this where so much is playing on someone's face over the course of, several, of like several seconds of screen time. When you'd get like two cuts from a Michael Bay or a typical action movie. This, it, it just, it's very... Um, it, it, the other thing that's great about it is it, all great films noir, film noirs, whatever, um, one of the things that really helps fuel them is a sense of barely coiled tension. There is always something around the corner that's dreadful. And, you know, whether or not that comes, I won't reveal because it's part of the spoiler sense of the movie. But it's just like, it's... I, I've always liked Paul Schrader's work. I yes. think he's a great director. I don't know if you've seen Hardcore from the late seventies with George C. Scott. That's right, daughter. Yes, thank <laughs> that you. That wasn't a good uh, the performance of. Uh, that was on my on my end. Yeah, that but was. It, but anyway, was to George C. So, Scott and it came out somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, <laughs> and he also he also um, uh, first reformed a couple years ago is yes. Astounding. I, oh, god, yes. oh my god. Um, he also was the director of the nineteen eighty two version of Cat People. Yeah, so which I, like I actually that. am oh. very fond. I like of. that one a lot. And I and again, uh, you know, this is a guy who knows how to exercise a lot of style and also it has a wonderful supporting performance by Tif tiffany haddish i didn't i didn't like her mm. actually I see she i liked her <laughs> i thought she was fun as hell in the movie and i thought it was really i thought she lent a breath of fresh air and levity to the yeah, movie. yeah i never not saw kiss hit tiffany haddish in her performance see my thing is i really haven't seen her do much of anything else so i was just mm. able to judge her on what she brought to this movie, and I thought she was great. So, yeah, I, yeah, this ended up more in the middle for me. Um, I think it was fifty nine. I, uh, I think which this is still is, like yeah. I saw yeah, I saw one hundred and twenty two movies here, and like most of them are a positive take. Mm -hmm. I only get to like the nah, around like eighty. So <laughs> so 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 we had a good year for me at least in this case. Uh, I didn't think it. I, I thought I liked what he was going for. I liked the look of it. I don't think it completely came through. I don't. I think it's one of those things I felt like needed like another draft. Or maybe someone else looking at the script being like, maybe this, maybe this. Um, so I, I love the setup. I just think it kind of didn't completely work in the end. Um, but I appreciate what he went for. I like the the sim uh, talking about simmering earlier for something else, but um, this, the 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 quietness of it for the most part. Especially Oscar Isaac, as you mentioned, yes. with like so much that he brings to the table. Willem Dafoe. In his oh. small, he doesn't. He has a lot. Oh, doesn't have a lot. But, but he's like, he, but you he know, steals you, it. You need a character like that in a yeah. film noir. He's like the only and one. He's, so great. he's the only one who can play that. I can't imagine. Absolutely, that's also my thing for Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Generally, like, and of course, we didn't mention, but he was in uh, Nightmare, Nightmare Alley. Alley. Yeah, uh, and close to an MVP role. this year for me. Yeah, and uh, he pops up again. You know, he's a Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, that you know, it's. Willem Dafoe is, is always MVP, no matter what he does. Yeah. He's people elevates whatever he's in. But um, yeah, I, and I, I think one of the things is, again, I'm just a little bit older than the rest of the people at the table, um, is that this is a very 70s style mm -hmm. of film. And I think one of the things that was a hallmark in the 70s <clears throat> is that you had not just moral ambiguity, but the ambiguity of an ending of a movie. 
Um, that whole notion was upended. Well, I like that. I just kind of like the whole the overall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and, it, and it's yeah. I mean, I can understand why it's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea, but it was most resolutely mine. Uh, number four, the card counter, directed by Paul Schrader. All right, and I'm, my number four is Last Night in Soho, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna note that. Uh, yeah, now's the point where you jump over to the more negative end of things before we get to our final pauses. So why don't we just well, take a break? It's yes. almost been two hours recording, and we probably only need to give ourselves a minute. Um, so okay. we're gonna. I'm gonna say I'm gonna put this in two two parts, like we did the last two times we did this. So uh, this is the end of part one of our end of year discussion. I know we talked a lot so far, but you know we haven't really talked about movies as much this year because we've been all in our own way. We've mm-hmm. talked. By a chat, but never so much like this. So we are kind of going on a bit, but that's fine. That's fine. And I hope you people like to listen to us and tell us that we're wrong. Um, <laughs> so thank you for listening to part one, and we'll see you in part two.